I know, I know everybody's probably sick of hearing about the midterms, but we're not done yet. Our guest today is actually running for the fifth ward seat on the Eureka City Council. And last I checked, I think it's pretty close. I believe she's ahead, but the margins are slim. And I believe that is the same for the third ward seat and for the clerk recorder position. I think it's just an overall pretty tight race across the board. At least as far as I'm aware, it is Thursday night. It's probably what, five o'clock right now? So as far as I know, and the last that I've heard, it's pretty tight across the board. We shall see what happens. That being said, our guest is amazing. I had so much fun talking with her. She is awesome. It was a great conversation. I could not have enjoyed it more. She's just, she's awesome. I think you guys will really like it. Please give it up. For Renee Contreras de Loach. We were at Eureka High. Oh, wow. We were at Eureka High together. Um, yeah, I was born and raised here. Um, Lived in Riverside for a little while, lived in Reading for a little while, but mostly just Eureka. So you bounced around a little bit? I bounced around a ton, and I bounced around a ton in Eureka. So Was that for college when you bounced around to Riverside and stuff? No, 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 no. I mean, like, I, um, growing up, I grew up here. Um, and so, no, my, you know, I think uh, just poor family. You move a lot. You know, you're not stable. So... That's the trope, right? Is you kind of just got to find your path wherever you can Yeah, so, like... Um, yeah, and then I, I left here when I was 20 and then was gone until I was 33 and came back. And then I've been back about 13 years. So What made you come back? I missed my family. I really missed my family. It was partly that and then partly in 2008 when the economy, uh, we could tell what was going on. By 2006, my husband and I were like, the economy is going to be toast. Like, we're, we're up a creek. Um, but we still couldn't divest ourselves fast enough of we were working in real estate and stuff we still couldn't get out of it quickly enough so we just spent basically all of 2007 just losing everything um and then we just were like we've got to we've got to start over so um we had family out here we're like we're going to come back out here and uh, it was a hard decision because we're like who moves to Eureka California to rebuild their life right where we were like this is not exactly like a thriving economy I don't know if this is going to work but it's actually been we, we've done really well here. It's been good. It's been, you know, successful. Raised our kids here, two older kids. Um, yeah. Have we started? Yeah. Are we going? Yeah, oh, we, we are? are? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a nice rolling start. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're live. Um, All right. So yeah. you guys were pretty heavily invested in the market then. Yeah. Um, we, were, uh, we were working with um, real estate companies and we were providing small business services and we just started kind of increasingly working with people that were working in real estate. So as all those real estate companies were going down and going, you know, as all of that started to really occur, we just, we didn't have clients, you know, it just, it was coming apart for us too. So. Now, do you feel like there are some parallels in what's happening today? I wish I would have Absolutely. been a little older. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think there is, I mean, me just personally, but you know, I mean, take that with a grain of salt, but, um, yeah. I was too young to remember, but I remember my parents talking about the pressure and the stuff that they went through in the 80s when inflation was very high. 
Um, but it was, I vividly recall it in 2000. We could see that coming down the road in 2000. We sold our house in 2000 because I said, eh, I think the market's about to go. And um, so we sold it. We sold it in like two days. And then, um, but like I said, when it started to happen again, we could see it in 2006. No. So we, we just couldn't um, get ourselves into a position where it wasn't going to hit us really hard too. Um, in hindsight, I mean, it was awful to go through. In hindsight, I'm actually... Feel like it gave us a lot of sympathy for people. I I worry about the people that are like uh, feel like everybody who's in bad situations got themselves there. Um. Yeah, I I felt like you know we were both um, you know smart, hardworking, you know whatever it didn't matter. You know it's just there's certain things that are outside your control. So I think being compassionate to whatever's going on in someone's life. You know. I think a lot of people are in that situation now. They absolutely where just, are. They were just keeping their head down, trying to move forward. And then all of a sudden you take a breath and you look up and this is outside people's control. Inflation yeah. is outside of our control. Gas prices, um, you know, uh, a stagnant market. I know they're trying, the Fed is talking about trying to slow down, you know, how fast wages are increasing, which is just uh, bonkers to me because wages have been flat for so long that really I kind of see it as kind of a correction, like a market correction almost. But again, you know, different opinions. Do you think we're heading towards a recession? Some people would argue oh, we're already we're in, in one. Yeah. I think we're in it because, you know, and even in 2008, they were just, you know, even in 2008, the most they would give you is they'd say the Great Recession. I mean, people were stacking stuff on their car if they still had a car and driving out of wherever they were at. And like, we've come up with ways to kind of pad and print money and do other things to kind of prevent something that looks depression-like. Um, so that we don't have to call it that word and say that, you know, uh, anybody had a depression on their watch um, because it's all optics, I think. But when it comes down to like, what are people actually living? Uh, it's it, People are going through, I think, kind of hell right now. Uh, two years of it, a few years of it. So and it's getting much harder, in my opinion, watching everybody. Um, no, it's not just my opinion. We've got the numbers on it. No, we, we have numbers on it. We know. You know, for every time, you know, there's as these different things move, you know, then it's uh, you have more people that kind of fall off the cliff. Right. They're on the edge and off they go. And more people that were further back are now closer to the edge. And it just it's not good. That's a good way to put it is you're walking up to this edge. And good. the further away we go from it, the more people fall off. Yep. Yep. There's and a weird hesitation to not call it a recession right now. There is. And I and there was in 2007. Is that a panic thing? You just don't want to freak out the public? I Yeah. I mean, I think that's part of it. I mean, always, you know, I mean, like people talk about the market as though the market is kind of this very logical sort of thing. Like it's a bunch of people sitting in there with their, you know, clipboards and notebooks looking at but, and instead that it's not this like uh, largely testosterone fueled kind of, in, you know, monstrosity, you know, of everybody's on Red Bull or something, you know, like it's kind of intense. So I think that's how I'm getting by over here. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's some like disreality, unreality. I don't know what the word would be um, about, you know, how all of that's fluctuating. But part of that is, again, going back to optics, it's optics. Well, it's a political football Absolutely. and one that shouldn't be. It's well, whatever party's in power. If you say, oh, we're in a recession, well, then now it's attributed because, to your party. And, and see, and that gets back to that it um, people don't, a lot of people don't understand how economics works. Um, and so they think that if it's bad right now, that's because, and they just go, you. So it's maybe not understanding how things are cyclical and how things kind of, um, 
you can have years of contributing factors that lead up. It doesn't mean that the person that is currently president, I mean, there's so much, there's so many levels between us and the president. There's so many people employed, working, doing things that are affecting the government, not to mention the Fed, uh, which is its whole other thing. Um, so anyway, um, I, no one wants to say it because then it's going to be, and it is being blamed, right, on the current administration. But the actions that are getting us where we are now have been in, been in the works for a really long time. People have been calling for a recession for a while now. Yeah. They've said that we're in a bubble, the housing market's in a bubble, and then it just, life kept going. The yeah. The ball kept rolling. Yeah. And then COVID really, I think, kicked things into a bad direction. Yeah. I really thought things were going to happen faster. So, you know, I told. In um, terms of decline. In terms of like the site. So I knew the supply chain was going to fail. We talked about that and we were like, okay, th this is going to cause a supply chain failure. Um, uh, and I, but I thought you know, by April of 2020, I, like, I thought it was going to be much faster. But again, it was kind of more, we saw kind of hiccups in the supply chain, but it kind of kept going. But when we're seeing issues and um, my husband and I adopted a special needs, a little boy um, out of foster care that's three years old now, can't eat um, and uh, or lost his ability to eat. And so has special formulas. It took us five months to get the formula that he needed. So, you know, there's... Um, you're, there's gaps in places, but you have to kind of be in a situation where you're going to kind of encounter those gaps. Not everybody's encountering them, depending on what their circumstances are. The formula shortage was another big one. Just it's across still the happening. Board. It's, it's still a problem. It's still an issue. Um, it's and that there is another issue, right? If the news isn't talking about it, then nobody knows about it. So I mean, unless they're living it. Um, so yeah, it's still problematic. Um, you know, stressful. Do you think that it's an accountability thing that nobody just wants to step up to the plate and say, okay, this is the problem. We have to address it. If we can't even call it a problem, how do we fix that? I don't know. You know, um, I don't know because, you know, I mean, I've, I've volunteered with different people and I've worked in lower levels of government. I feel like a lot of people are very eager to kind of take action and get things done. But very often there's like a complex, system that they there's a complex rules about how things have to be done and that usually is where people run into problems is they can't move as quickly as they want to because there's regulations that prevent them from moving as quickly as they want to um the bureaucracy yeah that's what everybody points to yeah i think that's true yeah i think that's true i think there's a lot of people that are um would just you know like let's do this now but yeah you know, do you think it's a good thing that we have those hoops or are some of them unnecessary? Well, you know, the hoops exist usually because somebody has exploited something before the hoops were there. And so, you know, I was thinking about that the other day, like how many of our laws exist just because we're trying to kind of regulate or kind of trying to curb greed, avarice, you know, whatever, these other kinds of problems, probably almost all of them. Um, so, I mean, you know, a lot of laws and rules are not necessarily for people who are going to be ethical, kind, honest, whatever. We create these to try to kind of create safeguards and protections. Um, and then they end up being kind of slow. abused. They, they, yeah. And they slow us down and they become problematic even when you're trying to do something important. So, and they, you know, they're running into that a little bit, you know, here in Eureka, you know, trying to kind of get things moving with different like housing and stuff like that. It's tricky. Housing is a big problem. Oh. Housing, <laughs> housing is a big problem. And again, you know, people are like upset about it in the last, you know, five plus years. People are starting to get really upset about it. But 
the shortage really started 30 years ago, right? And you're just feeling those effects. You're feeling now. it now. And that's the thing is it's like not people, it's not popular necessary to plan for 10, 20, 30 years down the line. And there's a lot of disincentive, particularly for politicians to plan for things uh, 10, 20, 30 years down the line, because they're not going to get points for that right now. Um, but yeah, California, this shortage is here because the, you know, that building that needed to happen wasn't happening because, you know, there was kind of this, like, we don't want to grow. We, we don't want these people in our backyard. We don't want to, you know, nimbyism kind of run, am run amok for like 20 plus years. And now it is, and, and, you know, it's just become more and more of a crisis for like probably 10 straight years. I mean, even by the time we moved back, so we moved back here in 2008, late 2008, started looking for a place to live in about 2009 early, um, stayed with family up until then. It was ridiculous. I couldn't believe how hard it was to find a place. It wasn't like that when I left in 95. I'm sure I remember when I left. So just a changed. You used to be able to buy a duplex for a hundred grand. I, I made $10 an hour and rented a really nice two-story uh, townhouse here in Eureka and had plenty of money left over. We went out practically every night, my friends and I did. So yeah. That is so crazy hearing that now. I know. I know. I, and like, you know, um, let me take a sip. <laughs> I think it's just, it's just crazy how times change like that. Um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm mad for everybody that's younger too. Like my, we, the house that we bought, so we moved into this house uh, five years ago and we bought it three years ago. Um, and part of the reason why we bought it is because it had been, it's a big Victorian that had been split into a legal duplex. And we told her, we knew our kids were not going to, they're not going to be able to move out. Like they couldn't move out. Like there's no way to really, it was like, if they do that, how are they going to do these other things? And so we're like, this has an apartment upstairs. This will, they can live with us but not live with us, you know, little separation. Yeah. Which is a little nice. bit separation. Cause they are in college. They are college aged, but like this will also kind of like, you know, kind of help be us kind of helping and pitching in while they're, you know, in college. Um, that was part of why we did it. And, you know, but yeah, both, both of our kids were like, this, this sucks. Like, not that they don't love us, but like, you know, they don't want to like have to stay with us, but, um, we're like, eh, I don't feel bad. You know, there's, Kind of two lines of thinking with that. You have the camp that says, yeah, we, we need to help the younger generation because they're kind of getting screwed over. Yeah. And then you have the camp that says, well, I did it back in my day. No, they I didn't. Could work, I could work a job. <clears throat> no, they didn't. And, and survive. No, they didn't. No, they didn't. Because, <laughs> um, yeah, no, I mean, we have like the numbers on that. We have like the statistics on that, right? Like, uh, you know, how uh, my neighbor who's really become like my mentor, right? She's a retired attorney. Um, she's just incredible. Um, she had two children and she worked part time and put herself through law school without debt. Like I How can't crazy is that? No, I, I have no concept because that wasn't a possibility even for my age group. So I'm not a boomer. I'm a, an ex, right? I'm the, the, the group that people are like, Oh, you guys exist. Like, I think I've met like two others. Like there's a tiny group of people, but yeah, no, no, it's, that's, it's not. Oh, we're true. going. We're going in. <laughs> yeah, no, because cap's going back on. No, it's it's just very frustrating to me because again, that goes back to people not understanding economics, right? They, it's well, I was able to do it. Yeah, well, of course, because this amount of pay, when things only cost this much, but when you have this amount of pay and it now costs this much, you know, it's 
you can't, it's different. It's a different situation. It doesn't, you know, it's ridiculous. It's, it's just shifted dramatically. And you know, I, everybody who's under a certain age knows this. It's a frustration, right? Like I hear like uh, my daughter's age group and son's age group are just super frustrated with about their grandparents' age group because they're like, do they not have any concept of what happened? And I think a lot of them don't. They just really think like younger people are lazy and don't want to work. And I'm like, yeah, they have like two and three jobs. Like that's just not a thing. Um, that's kind of how I feel about student loans in oh. some regard. Yeah. Is there's that sentiment of, yeah, I worked a part-time job and came out debt-free. I did that. You can do it. Just work a job. Yeah. Just work a job and part-time and make $56,000 a year and cover your tuition or whatever. <laughs> I mean, like, it's it's not a thing. Do you think Spends that the, the housing problem can be solved here? Because we it's it's not big quick, throughout California. Not quickly. Not quickly. Um, not unless there was the well, if there was, I think, the the will to do it fast. So I think it depends on priorities, right? So California right now and Eureka as well are are both saying, Hey, we're running a surplus. And I'm like, Hey, California, you cut services to adults with disabilities like crazy, like slash and burn them, right? And a lot of stuff kind of kind of shrunk and closed over this last few years. So I kind of like feel like you can't really see there's a surplus if there's like an extreme need going unmet. And I would like say that that's true probably with like housing and some of these other things too. There's like extreme needs going unmet. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I think it's priorities. I think there's kind of an attitude of um, that group that's getting the shaft, that younger group that's getting the shaft. Um, aren't aren't big voters really that seems to go against the narrative that's though. starting to change that's changed a lot i think um this last five six years um changed how interested people are in um what's happening at, at you know these kind of larger state and federal levels but by and large i think it's still the older retired generation that votes the most by a long shot I yeah, that is I, true, right? It's the older demographic that's and more And I stable. haven't looked recently, but I think that's true. You can kind of look at, it's like scalable, right? You can kind of look at like younger groups and older groups and you kind of see it just kind of goes up like as they as they age and they kind of are like, oh, hold on, I care about this stuff. And yeah. So in trading out these problems, are you talking about special programs like funding for special needs people or yeah, programs like that that are kind right. of getting put on the back burner yeah I, you know um it, it just the overall amount of funding if i understand correctly the overall amount of funding and some of the programs and just uh here were also reduced um and so that kind of had um my my daughters worked with she was a gymnastics coach and were, did worked with kids and she often got kind of the more challenging kids because she's you know patient and you know Nice. Sword. She can speak Spanish. She can sign. She can do all, you know, so she just kind of was this like, hey, I can kind of take all these kids that were, you know, other people were like, I'm not sure how to work with this child. And so then she ended up working with HCAR here um, and they were just, um, they work with disabled adults and they were pretty impacted um, during the pandemic. And part of that was they couldn't safely go meet with their clients, right? Because some of these clients were older and there was a lot of like, hey, like this just isn't safe. And, you know, they were trying to figure out kind of how to protect that group from COVID too. Um, but nevertheless, I think they had had like two or three facilities. So I feel like at this point I'm, I need to have Kate sitting here so I can make sure I know what I'm talking about. But I just, I know that this was something that um, we saw some kind of reductions in and it 
you know, anyway. So back to housing, though. I think we could probably, if we had the will to do it, we could do it really quickly. I worry with Cal Poly coming in, um, people already have a lot of difficulty found, finding housing. A certain percentage of their student body um, What about that big land homeless. that they just purchased for housing? Well, it's not going to solve it today. It's not going to solve it next week. And that's my concern, right, is that the, the enrollment's already higher this year. And it's going to be higher next year. And they're going up. And my only worry about that is I think it's great. I think that's going to be great long term for this area, too. Um, and I think that'll be great for the college as well. It's just my only concern is like, hey, where are they, they going to go? Like, I, this is the age of my kids. Um, I hate seeing. It hits a little closer to home. It does. I don't want to see them going through that. Like, I don't, you're, they're trying to like better their lives, you know, have these goals and they're, you know, come up here and find out that they can't find a place to rent or they get exploited by, I mean, the absolutely astounding number of slummy places that we have here, you know, high rent, won't repair, just the stuff that people go through here. It's frustrating. I've heard a lot about the slumlord atmosphere. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we dealt with that. We, cause we, when we got out here, we rented all the way up until, like I said, this house. So, um, we had some ridiculous stuff, you know, as renters. <laughs> Do you think you could solve that through legislation or is that just motivating people to actually care? I mean, I think there's lots of different ways to probably tackle this issue. So like, um, I, you know, I, and I think the city is really working on a lot of that already. Like they are really engaged in, I think the issue is that a lot of people don't realize how many projects they're engaged in and how um, how they've been trying to tackle this problem because it does take time to get stuff done, but they are engaged in a lot of projects. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, so 20 years ago, 21 years ago, uh, when we were, we were out in Utah and that was where I got elected to represent an area out there. Um, my husband was out there going to college and we had a slumlord, same kind of area that I'm actually running for right now. Same kind of thing. We lived downtown. We had business district. We had high density housing and we kind of had like the poor area and then students. And we had a slum lord issue there as well. And so the way the city kind of tackled it then was that they were, um, they looked into doing um, like a licensing basically where people would go out and kind of, so you had to pay a licensing fee, you basically ran it as, you know, a business, which I think they already have stuff like this going on here. And, but that basically paid for people to come and quickly kind of take a look. And because we had some odd things that were going on out there, um, you know, similar to some really strange rental situations here. Um, In like, terms of? Like one time, uh, one of the places they went out to go and um, inspect had converted what essentially used to be like a coal chute into like a micro apartment, but it really wasn't a micro apartment. It was just this. I don't know what a coal chute is. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm thinking how big is this where they could convert it into an apartment? I mean, it's not, it's not big. That's the thing. And this place had, no one had bathrooms. So I, you know, it was like, it was just a <laughs> ramshackle, but um, yeah, like a coal chute would be like, a, yeah, tiny. It was a place where they were storing their coal to like power this, you know, it was a very large house that had been just split into like a zillion units. So they just needed to make sure weird things like that weren't happening. And that was how they addressed it. So, you know, I don't know what they're already, what they've got in place here because the more I learn, the more I realize there's more to know. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I think there's multiple ways that that can do as far as solving housing here. It's not going to be a quick fix. It's not going to be a quick fix. It needed because it take, you know, it's just the bigger the project, the longer, the bigger the amount of things that you need to do. You know, it just takes longer. Um, they had a housing problem in that place where we lived in the 70s. 
and the way that they seven the way that they you know resolved that was they encouraged everybody to convert everyone out there it's a desert had root cellars they were like hey we will have these i think they did like low or no cost loans their city did out there and did these different things and said convert these into apartments so that you can rent them so really like every house out there had these basement apartments and um that was one of the ways along with building apartment complexes that they solved it was they just encouraged everybody to open their homes like figure out a way to you know put a rental in the backyard convert your garage whatever like get this going so that there's housing i think they're trying to do that here as well accessory dwelling units that's been a big push it's a big push but um and uh natalie arroyo has talked about this a little bit too some of the problems that they've run into though with it is is that it's hard to get financing to do that so you almost just kind of like need to have like the money just hanging out to like like incentivize it yeah because we looked into we thought we could get rid of this garage on the back and build you know something and we have this unused garage that we have (laughs) we have this unused garage that we have in the back and um so we're like hey let's see if we can like you know maybe put something but it would be so expensive because the materials are (laughs) And here we go with the supply chain Back thing. to inflation. Back to inflation, back to supply chain, back to how much does it cost to transport things into this area so then we're particularly impacted by the cost of goods because it's even higher than, you know, even just a few hours south. And so, yeah, we were like, this just doesn't, doesn't pencil. So even though they've, the, they've really tried to, like, open it up where it's easier for people to build these dwelling units, it's still there's these barriers to it. It's cost prohibitive still. Yep. What do you make of the the idea of turning some of that commercial real estate into mixed use? I'm I love it. You think that's yeah, a good I'm idea? stoked. Yeah, I'm stoked. Uh yeah, and they asked this question at the um we did one at oh shoot. The League of Women Le- Voters. League of Women Voters, yeah, thank you. I have a three year old. He doesn't sleep. I don't sleep. <laughs> I get so, it. <laughs> cognitive processing though. So um yeah, there's a um they brought that up there and um and I think somebody said like, well, we can't just take these people's properties from them. That's not what it is. What they're talking about though is like purchasing, you know, these properties are just kind of sitting. Um, because uh unfortunately, you know, online buying and stuff like that too has really impacted uh it's really impacted Main Street, so to speak, right? Um and so there are some businesses that cannot probably come back because they can't be competitive in what's happened and how things have changed. Um, so I, what I'd like to see, what I would like to see, right, is how many businesses can we get back in here? How many, you know, like back in that, you know, our downtown Eureka, like what can we do? Um, but for all these other places that are just sitting there, I'm like, let's convert them, you know, like let's convert them. It's going to take like so many different, I think, m- approaches because even though I'm not going to drop $110,000 to build an accessory dwelling unit in my backyard or plus $110,000 plus, somebody else can and will. So that's one route, you know, even though I'm not going to build a great big, whatever, 40, you know, door complex, somebody else will. So I think like having, it just has to be gone at from multiple different directions. And I think we're going to see a big difference. I think it's, we're going to start to feel relief over the probably the next five years and i think there'll be a big relief by 10 you know 10 years out but i'm like in the meantime is that because of a housing crash or no no i mean the I multi-approach think, i think it's yeah it's gonna, it's, we're gonna start to feel that that's working and that's catching up and that it's you know that that's alleviating and 
Um, and I mean, and again, they're they're moving on things very quickly. Like if you drive around and you kind of look, they've got something going over at Cooper's Gulch. Like they have a lot of things in the works. And so they're really tackling this. Um, I I think just a lot of people for some reason are not aware of just how engaged the city is in solving this they are. So well, I think Cooper's Gulch is a senior mm-hmm. living, right? It is okay. senior, and we have another one that's senior as well. And so <laughs> again, so it's like, yeah, there's um so the state kind of says like, hey, this is, um, I think it's called RENA or something. Anyway, the acronym. But the state kind of says like, this is how many units we think that you need to have and you need to do and this kind of thing. And we have some kind of issues that are kind of um, going to be challenging here. Um, one of which is the state is saying that we are going to shrink here. They're anticipating we are going to really shrink. Um, Eureka or Humboldt County as a whole? Both. That they think that we're going to. And there, so there is kind of this kind of at a state level kind of this like hey these rural areas are really just they're they're gonna shrink that's ironic who's who's coming up with that i don't know i don't know um but i know that that's a thing and um i was i got to meet with um um tom from epic i hope it's okay i'm name dropping him but anyway and it was asking questions and you know he was kind of talking with me a lot about the housing and kind of like some of what we're kind of running into and i'm like and he and i both are like no this we've consistently been gaining and we'll cons- we will continue to consistently gain. And I think there's a few reasons for that. But I, one of them is I can't tell you how many people I've met that I like I call them heat refugees. But like and there's probably that have left from other areas down south that are just like could not stand it anymore. They're like it's crowded, it's scorching and it's expensive. And so I think if you build it, they will come. I think there's probably a lot of people that are like, if they could make a life here, they'd be here in a second. And I, so I think there is, I think we're going to keep moving this way because it's not hot as the blazes. It's, and it's beautiful. The it's scenery beautiful. here is incredible. There's lots of outdoor things to do. Um, there, there's lots of things to, I think, to draw people here. Um, that's funny. I haven't heard anybody say we're going to start shrinking. Yeah, no. And uh, no, because I don't think normal people or average people just people normal, that actually live here. Yeah, these abnormal politicians. No, but I mean, like, no, I think people here are like, no, we're growing like we're growing. And there's some things that have shrunk. Right. I mean, there's way less kids in school than there was when I was going to school. So, I mean, but again, that's I mean, I think younger people are like, I can't afford to move out of my mom's back bedroom. I'm not going to have kids so i you know it's just changed things well i think it's harder keeping local kids here yep. right kids that grow up go through college and then come back that seems to be rare yep so my um yeah i, I came back and people are like you know why'd you come back you know and i i was surprised that a lot of people stayed you know i thought everybody pretty much left because we did what was here for us you know there was everything had changed even um the the economy really started to really flounder when i was as a founder or flounder anyway but flounder is a fish. Which one is it? I think it's flounder, right? <laughs> is it flounder? I, I feel it's like flounder. it's flounder. I feel like it's flounder. <laughs> I think it's flounder. I think you got it. <laughs> Let's just delete this part. But um, <laughs> but anyway, yeah, like it really started to in the 90s when I was started in high school. Take. Yeah, because our industries, they couldn't continue, right? Our, the, at the level that they were, the fishing and logging industries couldn't continue at the level that they were. Um, but my parents were employed through the logging industry. So, I mean, it had a huge impact. So I think there was kind of like a, you know, just move on. But yeah, my, you know, my son is out in Florida. Um, he just left and is out there studying astrophysics, actually. So, and my daughter's here, but is um, planning on probably becoming a dentist. And so she'll leave too. If there's any place to go to school here for that. Yeah, there's so. not a lot of opportunities. No, no, down the line. So 
she wants to come back. I mean, her, she loves, you know, she loves it here. Um, she wants to come back, but she's going to have to leave. So I think a lot of times, the, like, even if they kids want to stay here and make a life here, they can't. And I, I would like that to change. Like, I, I really would like that to change. I think it can, too. Do you think the solar farm and that cable that they're laying out in the Pacific, do you think all that is going to make an impact job-wise here? Or is it going mean, to help? Yeah. The fish farm out there in Samoa? Yeah. I mean, uh, it looks like they're going to move forward with that. And I know some people have, like, mixed feelings on that because they're concerned about, like, the affluent line and how that might, like, introduce viruses to, like, other, you know, like, I was kind of reading up on kind of, like, uh, environmental concerns with that and stuff. Um, but it seems like by and large, a lot of people are also very favorable toward it. And I can't remember what they estimated would be the jobs that would be coming in, but they are estimating that would create a certain number of jobs. Um, I don't know how many that is and how impactful that would be. Um, I mean, everything's helpful, right? I mean, it's like, again, I think jobs are probably a lot like housing where it's like lots of things. And it's kind of like an upward spiral or downward spiral, right? You, If you have a couple of like good core things and you have lots of other little businesses to start to form around it to support those things. Um, so I think anything coming in um, that isn't going to be, you know, harmful would be good employment wise because then we'll have other things, you know, like my mom worked at the mill. My stepdad worked at a hydraulic company that catered to the mill. You have these when the mill went, then they eventually the hydraulic company went. So you have like a lot of little, you know, I don't know. Uh, economies are kind of like uh, ecosystems in a lot of ways. Especially in rural areas like them. this. Yeah. You lose the big fish. Yeah. So we need more big fish. Cal Poly is a fish, a big fish. A lot of people are upset, though, at Cal Poly mm -hmm. and of buying up that land, which I don't really understand. Is it just where they bought the land or is it? They know. just don't like the idea of the school expanding in that way. I don't know either. I haven't really like I've oops. I haven't been paying attention to um what's going on with Cal Poly's land purchase that they did. So I'm not sure. Yeah, I gotta dig into that a little more. I didn't understand. I've read a few articles where it shows that people are not happy about it and I couldn't really figure out if it's just from a perspective of where they're building or they just don't like the idea that the school's expanding in that way. Oh, 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 hold on. Okay. Yeah, no, I re I'm trying to remember what that is. It was like, it's, is it because it's kind of like ice? It, there isn't like a clear. I thought it was like a wetland thing, but I don't yeah, know. Yeah, no, I'm like, all of a sudden I'm like, hang on, wait a minute. Now I remember people discussing this. I mean, the thing is we live in an area that's extremely pristine and. People don't like messing that up. No, and I don't want to either. Um, I don't want to either. And so it's like, how do you balance that? Like, you know. Um, there is you... that argument of how do you expand and still maintain the small town feeling? Well, you know, the thing is we have a, what, like 34, 40 million people in California, something like this. Um, our population is getting huge. It's going to get bigger. It's not just the state. It's the entire country. It's just that's the whole world. <laughs> at a just phenomenal rate. I can't remember what it was when I was born. It's definitely bigger now. <laughs> like half, like half, right? The world was like half the size. So I think like, you know, I understand that um, this kind of like, how do we kind of, yeah, you don't want to just decimate your entire environment. Like this is bad. You don't want to What do, do you that. think of speaking... Do you have anything here but for some areas? What it, some areas though are more environmentally sensitive than yeah, others. wetlands and are that's the, big the one. thing. Is that is there's some areas that are environmentally sensitive more so than say up on a hill in a forest, and so some things just really uh, we have to be really careful with. 
what do you got here? Did you find anything about some? I don't remember. I think it might, maybe it was a wetlands thing. I don't know if I'm attributing that to that guy that's out there building. I'm like, I don't know what I'm looking at here. A map of. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like, yeah, I'm not one of those people that's great at reading maps. Like I almost need like a holograph. Yeah. Just break it down. Give me the quiz notes. Yeah. Just let me step into it for like a minute and look around. But, um, speaking of impact, one of the questions that I really did like in that league of women voters was on that, that homeless encampment that they had built up over what on sixth and west ave yeah what did you take on that because people were very divided on if they should be removed if they should stay yeah i mean i don't know you know i'm like trying to remind myself like i'm running for office which means that i am applying for a job right (laughs) the world's longest most intense job interview but well um, it's hard because nobody um, has a great solution to that so where do you well, okay, so I thought about that, right? Because Eureka, I've ta- I talked with people and they were like, we tried to do some kind of camping, you know, because the solution would be until we have housing, then they have to have a place to safely be, except for, and because there's two different issues, right? The people were talking about environmental impact and then they were talking about criminality and, you know, other things like that. Okay, those are two separate things. Um, and so, um, uh, and I said bluntly, no, I wasn't in favor of that. I thought it was, I know it's a terrible spot, right? Like I, the, yeah. The environmental impact was insane. I googled some of those pictures. It was insane. The it amount was of trash terrible they had because back there's there. no place to throw away the trash. There's no place to throw away the trash. There's no place to go to the bathroom. Um, one of the things I said was we've criminalized homelessness because there is if there's no place for you to legally be, then that means anywhere you're going is illegal. Any place you're sleeping. Where do you go? Where do you go? And we don't have a place for them to go, so we can't tell them not to go places if we don't have some place for them to go it'd be different if there was like if there was an option and and immediately people will say well some of them choose to be homeless okay fine uh but a lot of them don't (laughs) there's other things going on um yeah so again uh you know um i know it's it's hard i just think uh i'm always gonna put people ahead of anything it's just it's just always gonna be people ahead of everything else for me um ahead of you know everything everything what about the argument always that it's more detrimental for them to be in that spot oh well it is detrimental it is detrimental and i think one of the things they've talked about is this kind of like and i'm sorry i can't recall exactly the terminology people have used for it but essentially the idea is an approved place to camp. I mean, which basically boils down to like what they used to call Hoovervilles, right? During the first depression. Yep. Um, these Hoovervilles, um, which also just were terrible. They are terrible. But at least they have a place where they can be, I guess. Least you can worst, make that argument. Least yeah. worst until we have ways to address that in some ways, least worst. And I so there's um yeah, I mean, I think ultimately. Everyone who wants to be in homes needs to be in places. They need to have shelters. So I think we need to move forward on shelters. Kim Bergel, I don't know if I just said her last name correctly, but um, she and I talked and talked about some of this. We both have very similar feelings about people that are um, houseless. 
not sure what the distinction is between houseless and homeless. Honestly, I don't get that. Yeah, I I'm just not sure. Call what, him homeless. I have always called him homeless too, and I think some people have decided that that's offensive. But to me, a house is just a structure. A home is a place where you feel like you're safe and you belong. And so I feel like saying that they are homeless fits still because they're unwanted. You know, I it's I can't go into it too much. I'm not gonna. I'm like I don't want to blubber on your like thing, but I'm like we're throwing away human beings. It's a di- it's a very nuanced problem is yeah. we're dealing with people people that don't have anything there's lots of reasons why they're there there's lots of reasons why they're there um and even for people they're like well they don't want to be in a home again there are lots of reasons why things like that happen um I've, but what do you do in that situation like if somebody well there's so many people involved in that because if well if it's a criminal issue you address it from the criminal angle if it's a mental health issue we have to why do we have so many things in place for how to address when someone breaks the law, but we don't have stuff like that if someone is having a mental health crisis? Like we know exactly who to call when somebody is breaking the law, but we don't know exactly. People don't know exactly who to call if someone is in an open, noticeable crisis anyway. So I think part of that is just like as a society, we kind of have more of like a punitive. We're very hands off generally and then punitive when we need to be. And I think really what we need to be is building people, building people, building people, because then we have less in this group. And um, so I think it's addressing each of those things. I know that sounds kind of, you know, whatever, big, but there's lots of different issues that are working into that. Um, But you have a lot of people with broken lives and um, some of that's addiction, but even addiction so often is. It's a traumatic response. Yep. You're dealing with trauma and you're masking it with yeah. whatever substance you can get your and, hand on. Um, you know, and I remember when opioids were being handed out like candy back in the 90s to all of these people who were working in logging and different things because they were getting hurt. They were injuring their backs and things like that. And they were saying like, these don't form habits. These don't form addictions and they'll help with this pain. And these guys, these big old guys were in tons of pain, right? I mean, they were a huge amount pulling green chain and doing these different jobs that were super high injury um, and fishing and logging high injury um, professions, high fatality professions. And so I think a lot of people, I can't remember what the numbers are. And I don't know if this has changed because I haven't looked at it in probably at least five years. But I know that the numbers used to be something like seven out of 10 people who got hooked on opioids. It started as prescriptions from their physician. And I think people need to remember that. I think people really need to remember how some of this started. Um, and um, and then also, you know, we've worked, um, we've worked with foster kids for about 10 years. Um, and I've worked with youth and teens for a lot longer than that since I was in high school. My first volunteer job was with Planned Parenthood. They used to have this program called Enable. It was like Education Now, Babies Later, and they had high school students go and talk with kids at junior high because we had a they were concerned about how many junior high school kids were getting sexually involved. They're super young. It's very young. So they were like, we've got like 25% of these kids are, you know, sexually involved. I it's I don't know what it is now, but so they sent us out kind of like talk to these kids and stuff like that. So I've been working with kids for like just ages. So that's kind of the backdrop to something I'm going to say. Uh, the amount of trauma and the amount of people that are homeless that go through the foster care system or that were traumatized or trafficked. We have a lot of trafficking in this area of minors, a lot of abuse. Those kids end up on the street. 
and I've seen some of them on the street here. So, <clears throat> yeah. It's a problem. I mean, all of that is, is scary. I'm sitting over here. I'm kind of hung up on the trafficking thing because I have heard that. Yeah. But it's hard because I haven't seen it. So you have that. Why would you see it? And you have that degree of separation. <laughs> so you can Why would you see it? That's the thing. The whole point of trafficking is that it happens underground. The whole point of it is that you don't see it. That's the point. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, but Humboldt County has a problem with it. But it makes it hard to address when it's not in your face, when it's not something people can see. Well, and have that tangible effect of, oh, this is a real problem. Well, here's the thing, right? Is um, so two two things I want to say is one is that um, we have a really nice charity here that works with foster children called the Forgotten Initiative. It's called the Forgotten Initiative because these kids are forgotten. They're invisible. Um, so that, number one. And they are at much higher risk. And then number two, so I just attended the Missing um, and Murdered Indigenous Persons um, Summit that they that the uh, Yurok tribe hosted and when um and one of the things something that's important to remember too is so uh native indigenous people are at way higher risk of being trafficked and disappearing girls particularly women in our area for example um about 40 percent of the kids that end up in foster care are indigenous children um even though they're a small fraction of the population those children are targeted and um, and they talked about this in the conference. And I sat with uh, Rachel Ibarra. Um, she and I sat there, and she actually was one of the people that spoke at the conference. And I we were talking about this, and I said, hey, I've been a foster parent for 10 years. This issue in particular I find very troublesome, and I'm very concerned about it. So we were talking about that, and we were talking about how these kids kind of go, they just disappear. Um, and she said they're targeted, specifically targeted, because – no one cares about them. They're kind of invisible. They're kind of forgotten. There's no one keeping an eye on them. And so if they disappear from their foster homes or whatever, then it's kind of like, well, where'd they go? And, you know, because they might come from a broken family, it's not necessarily looking as well, or they get taken from their family. We have something, I don't know if they actually call it poverty placements or if I've kind of just dubbed it poverty placements, but there is a certain number of children that end up in foster care that really are there because of either directly because of poverty or because of an indirect consequence of poverty. And so, you know, shouldn't be there at all. Anyway. In terms of... So a lot of invisibility is my point. Yeah, understandable. These, these are invisible kids. You know, how many, you know, something I've talked with people about is, okay, when the Me Too movement hit full swing, right? How many people did you find out in your life we're like, yeah, me too. Like, how many people did you not realize that kind of were like, yep? Because I ask people this question when they're, you know, and it's usually quite a lot um, that they're like, they didn't know a mom or an aunt or a sister. They didn't know. So there's that aspect to this as well. Because girls are disproportionately affected by this, um, there's an aspect of kind of uh, it's not being discussed. I don't know. <laughs> I feel like I'm talking to her. Talking around this and um, but trying to explain something that's really complicated, um, but it is an issue. Well, it's like the homeless problem, right? It, you have these huge problems that affect people on a very real level. And they're in the bushes. And we get upset when we look into the bushes. And then it, it's like nobody knew, but then when everybody looks, they're like, oh, my God, look at all this trash. And look, there's gain signs, like spray painted on the tree. And like, what's going on? And then they're like, oh, my God. And some of these women were being prostituted. And, you know, this is a mess. 
So for that encampment in particular, because there were like, yeah. I think there were 30 families living there. What would, what would you have done in that situation? I think they need to have a place to camp. There needs to be an actual, and this is something people have talked about. There needs to be a legal place for them to go uh, with. Uh, so the people that are not criminals and don't have a place to live are is more worried about the criminals than we are because they're the ones that have to live with them. Right. I, I don't necessarily. I'm not the one living 20, 10 feet away. My my tent isn't 10 feet away. So um, but there. So having kind of, you know, they've talked about making sure that there's, you know, uh, access to facilities, bathrooms, you know, porta potties, whatever, having access to garbage cans and then having access also to, you know, a patrol where they're coming and checking and they're keeping an eyes on things. So, I mean, like to me, that would kind of be the. Better than what we have right now. The problem that they've run into is Eureka doesn't have any large chunks of land where they can do something like that. Like their Eureka is very on its own footprint. And that's been one of the tricky parts. Arcata can spread. You know, there's, you know, different people can kind of spread even outside our outside Eureka in the county parts. They can kind of they've got places to spread into, but Eureka really doesn't. So it has to kind of go up, which is why it's gotten into these, you know, parking lots and stuff, too, because they're like, where do we have land? OK, there. Um, so that comes back to that camping thing. So to me, then these are not all citizens of Eureka. So I think um, I don't know if these discussions have already occurred in talking with the county about providing a parcel like that. But that might be the better way is um, is for the county to try to put, provide a parcel like that where there is a legal camping scenario um, because Eureka doesn't really have the property for it. So. But I would hazard a guess a lot of people's proximity to Eureka or camping in Eureka isn't so much about them being like, well, this is where I was born and raised so much as it is. This is where services are at. This is where I can get around on foot. This is where I can get to the things I need to. Now, so. what do you make of that argument where if we did provide that land, are we just incentivizing people to come and camp? Yeah. And stay in that lifestyle instead know. of promoting them to get out of it and change their circumstances? Well, again, I think, you know, that goes back to people, you know, assuming that everybody that's on the streets are there because they want to be um, or because they're just not motivated to have something else in their life. And that's just not true. So um, I think, you know, there's uh, there's addiction issues, there's mental health issues, there's I can't afford to live and my life fell apart issues. And then there's just I don't even know. And 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 these groups don't necessarily run into that criminal, you know, element that we have to like be concerned about, right? So, um there's different reasons why people are there. So I, you know, I don't know. That's always the challenge with anything, right? Is um I I've heard those kinds of arguments my whole life about anything, right? We don't want to give them food stamps because if we give them food stamps, then they're just not going to work. You know, we don't want to give them, you know, housing vouchers because if we give them housing vouchers, why would anybody work anymore? Well, and yet most of us work, you know, and yet most of us do do these things. So I don't think it, you know, it's a big population. I, I can't, you know. And I, it's growing. And it's growing. And the number of people that are in crisis are, is also growing. But I do really think that the measurement of how how we are with the quality of us as a people and the quality of us as a community. How do we treat the people that are most vulnerable? How do we treat the people that are most vulnerable? My youngest son is never going to be able to live independently. Probably. Um, it would be very unlikely. And my husband and I were older when we adopted him. 
And I, we we're putting all these kind of things in place so that we can make sure that our older children are also like, we'll make sure Finn is okay. You know, like baby brother, we're going to, he's going to be good. But what happens when people don't have that, you know, um, what happens when they don't have a rookie mistake? I'm over here. My phone's going off. <laughs> a safety net, a safety net. Like, like I was talking earlier about like what happened to my husband and I, right. In 2008, where we really had to start over. Well, we could do that because we had family who could do all of this for us. They could help us out. And we needed help with like everything to really get things pulled back together because we just hung on too long. We were like, no, we can figure this out. We'll just, we'll just, you know, and it, like got ourselves in tons of debt. It was just horrible. It was really stressful. Like this happens to people. But we had like, we came out here and it was like, my grandma was like, you can stay with us. I have this extra space and we can do this and we can. And they just were like, we only needed to stay with them for about two months. But like, what do you do when you don't have that? What do you, what do you do? And that's the thing is it like, so some of these people that are on the streets are people that had homes. Some of them lost, you know, they couldn't afford their um, in mobile home parks and their rent went up too high and they lost. And it's not like they can just move those and move them where. So they're just, you know, and some people are injured and they can't, you know, I, it's just there's not a lot of room between things can go bad very quickly for people. They just can. So, yeah, I don't know what the right call was. With that particular encampment. I don't know either. I I feel like it. I think you have, you had to get him out. Something needed to be done. Because be, the trash was just, did you have, nobody. Did they have to be out or did it need to be cleaned? That's a good, that's a good question. And that, My problem with it is that I believe there was a camp there a while ago. I don't remember the length. And they went in there and cleaned out an insane amount of trash. Yeah. And then now we're just in the same spot again. Yeah. That's my only gripe is well, we're not fixing the root of the problem. Well, and that's and, – and so what's – yeah. And what's going to happen is they're just going to diffuse. And then, I don't know, five months later, they'll be back. In some other we'll, place or, or that same place and it'll be the same thing because we keep doing – We're just in a cycle. Cleaners. We're in a cycle that – and that's why it's – that's why there has to be a like why – you know, this – you know, Betty Chen, these other groups are like trying – to get this stuff like, okay, let's get them into housing. And, and they are, and improvements are being made. So like, I just went to a, um, uh, the mayor had a pie social at the park and I went to this pie social and I was like, all right. And one of the people that came up, I'm not sure if they're still, I don't think they're houseless, but anyway, um, it had come up and was talking and they said, you know, I just want you to know, and they were somebody that had lived on the streets and was like, I just want you to know, I think things have really gotten better in this last few years. I can tell a difference. And this other guy that was sitting next to him who had not been in his situation was like, I completely disagree. These are so much worse. They're, you know, and this kind of thing. And he was like, no, no, I can see an improvement. And I thought, so here was somebody that's been in that community is saying like, I think I can see an improvement. Like I can tell you guys have been working on this. Like I can see that this is, but I think it's very hard because I think um, everybody is like, yeah, it didn't look like this. It didn't look like this 20 years ago. It didn't look like this 30 years ago, you know? And and I do hear people say like, oh, it's like this everywhere. And I'm like, nope. I have family in other states. We travel. It does not look like this everywhere. California's being particularly hit hard, you know, with some of this. So we're particularly struggling. Yeah, it's not It's not great. It's not, it's great, not great in great. California. It's mm. not great for people who are just live and work in these cities. It's not great for the homeless population who is in those circumstances it's just not great it's not good for anybody and we keep throwing money at it and 
it doesn't seem to be solving the problem. Yeah. That's what gets me is the frustration of just the repetition. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, because yeah, exactly. Um, but what we can't see is so each time that they go through and clean eyes is, is uh, how have those numbers declined over time? How you know how? Um, and I think between it was like four or five years ago when they did kind of a I'm trying to remember what it was. They went through and they kind of were like, how many people do we have? Versus the one that they did maybe two years ago, and it was like it was less, right? So it's there's kind of this there is some movement that's happening and that kind of thing. But again, until you address it up here, you're not going to address it down there. So I think the answer is probably just so much housing that there's just housing, you know, like that there's just that you have options. I think I um that it's cheap enough that people, but it, again, it has to be it has to be dressed from all sides. And we have a number of things that are causing challenges here, right? We we have a lot of um mental health issues here. What do you got here, Andy? Community rallies against police and green team. Yeah. Can you scroll down? I think there should be some pictures of the trash in this article. Yeah. Just no. keep going down. The trash is just oh my god. And goodness. the kids protesting I always chuckle with that because I think their heart is in the right place, but mm -hmm. if you want to help, I don't know, bust these people to a shelter or help clean up some of the trash. Well, you standing on the street yelling gets, at the officers is that not. gets tricky though too because you know um, some of the you know some of the shelter options, some of the places that they have where they can go, um, you know, for obvious reasons because some people are really putting out a lot of effort toward their sobriety. Don't allow people who are not sober. So. That excludes some of that group. They're not sober yet. Yeah, to be fair to, yeah, the trash. Yeah, it's, it's brutal. It's a, well, and imagine living like that, right? This is when- It's not good. Can you imagine what that does? Just to like, have you ever just had like your room has just gotten like too messy and you start to feel like demoralized by it? Yeah. Like imagine like- And look at all the needles. It's yeah, just- It's so Nobody bad. should have to live in that. No, they shouldn't. No. And that's the thing is I even like saying that like, hey, I think there needs to be a camp. You know, I'm like, I can't believe I'm basically saying like, hey, like, let's build Hooverville. Well, and, hopefully somebody would patrol it and there would be trash and that's, pickups. To me, and, that's what I would want to see. Right. I would want it to be because that not because I want there to be like, hey, a police presence that can make, you know, but so that people feel safe. So safety. that people. Yeah. Because there are people there that are there for all. There are so many reasons why people are, are uh, you know, homeless. So. Like being safe, yeah, there has to be bathrooms, bathrooms, a dumpster, you know. Um, and and again, you know, one of the things, and I asked about that because I've talked with, I've met with different people on the council, and said, okay, what about this? What about this? And they said, well, we tried this, and this is what happened. We tried this, and this is what happened. We tried this, and we can't, you know. And I mean, because they <laughs> they've been trying to do these different things, and um, you know, uh, the porta potties were getting knocked over but they were like i don't think it's the they didn't think that it was they were being targeted so the homeless population also gets targeted you know people would go out and harass them in these encampments you know like hey this is fun let's go knock over the trash can and do these different things so they're running this stuff like that as well um and then i think like a dumpster was lit on fire and so they're like well we can't we can't just keep putting this stuff out there for that and i'm like i don't know why not it's not it's a good happen. question. Why not? It's not going to keep happening. I mean, like my neighborhood, cars get broken into, and yet we still park there. <laughs> like, and yet we still live there. We are we have crime. 
but our neighborhood didn't, we didn't just give up on having, you know, so I, part of me feels like, you know, I don't know if that's a great reason to just give up on having dumpsters and porta potties is like, well, Hey, one got knocked over another one got lit on fire. And I'm like, I mean, yeah, that that's obviously a safety issue, but I mean, like stuff happens in my neighborhood too. So I, I don't know. I I think we're more critical of that community because people don't like to think of the idea that they could be there. They don't think they can be there. I think we all, it's with anything. It's that we, human beings do this with everything, right? It's when, when someone has, I've seen this with all kinds of things. Even I saw with COVID, you know, because people wanted to feel like if I just diet and exercise and I'm healthy, then I won't be the one that dies of COVID. So they want to feel like they have control over things. Um, so they don't have to feel afraid. And instead of acknowledging that we, there's a lot of things that are out of our control, things can happen. Um, and I think that's where that, that push to blame people for their circumstances comes from. I don't want to sound like I don't believe in accountability. I do think we're accountable. I, I do. I think we, I think accountability at its core is like that ability to respond, to make things better, a belief that you can kind of come back from something or whatever. So I think that's important that people still feel that at the same time. I just think it's very immature to just blame people all the time for things. Um, well, that support network that you mentioned is a big one. Huge. I mean, how many people fall on their face? I have a huge extended but have family. But have a family that can pick them up. My, This is how my family has always functioned. My mom's side of the family functions this way. So does my dad's side of the family. My dad's side of the family immigrated from Mexico. It was critical that everybody depend on each other. These multi-generation homes, like we needed them. We needed that many contributing incomes. There needed to be grandma watching children or there wasn't a way for her to hold a job. Like this is how we function. My mom's side of the family I grew up in a pretty poor family. My dad's side of the family, um, you know, a little bit less so, but immigrants um, and definitely <laughs> dealt with, you know, issues um, because of when they immigrated. So I think, um, yeah, like I, I have this network, right? Um, but I've seen what happens when people don't have these networks and a lot of people don't. So you said something that kind of caught me off guard about your son and -hmm. recognizing that you do you have to have that support network for him was that a hard you said you adopted him when you were a little older in life yeah yeah. was that a hard decision to come to was it no so we um we had fostered kids off and on we had no intention of adopting um we had years ago you know my husband i always said we would adopt and that kind of thing and and um uh, but we didn't. We had two biological children, but we did foster care and stuff like that. But, you know, the, f- the focus of foster care is really about rebuilding those families, right? It's creating very often those families. They don't have networks. They have problems. There's issues in there. Um, so we just did foster care. When we moved into this house in 2017, whatever, anyway, we said, I was like, hey, this house is huge, right? Like, I just kind of had this, like, our kids are grown. This house is ginormous. There's like, I grew up in like tiny kind of just dumps. (laughs) And so I'm like, you know, we got this big house. Like, and I knew people, I have friends that had done foster care in the past. And they're like, we do not have like 150 beds for the whole county. If you can believe it, that's how many beds there are for all the foster kids in Humboldt County. And we have a lot of foster kids. So it's like really problematic. So we were like, Hey, let's do something, you know, like we'll just do it for a few years is what we said. Like, we're just going to do this for like three to five years. And we said we were going to take older kids because we knew the kids they were having trouble placing were older kids because everybody's fine with little babies. 
but they don't want to deal with teenagers. And we're like, eh, we've worked with teenagers for years. Like, we're good. Our kids are older. We're good. So the only reason why we got approved to even take young children, um, we said nobody under four. We got approved was because when a teenage mom goes into care, like say she gets taken from her parents, sometimes what can happen is somebody will take her baby but isn't willing to take that 15 or 16-year-old. And so it's just this. And I was like, that's awful. So I just kind of had this thought in my head, like, all right, we'll get approved. And I'm thinking, oh, you know, we'll probably end up working. Well, we never, ever had a single mom, ever, you know, like one of these teenage girls that, you know, placed with us. Um, we did have teenagers and stuff like that. But then I don't even know what made them call us that day. I, we, we talk about this sometimes. We just marvel at it. Um, no intention of starting over. Like, we're older. Our kids are older. Like, we're about ready to, like... I don't know. Sit on a beach somewhere. Yes, yeah. exactly. So we're like, um, so yeah, we had like, you know, they were like, uh, we have this little boy. He just came into the hospital. He was just born a few hours ago, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know, you need to come down and be at the hospital with him for a few days. What do you think? And I put my hand over like you know, the phone and I was like, hey, you know, to my husband, like, what do you think? You know, and um, he's like, yeah. Again, not thinking we're going to adopt, you know, just like, all right, we're going to go down there. But I don't know. There was just something. Got down to the hospital, like this tiny little peanut, tiniest little baby we'd ever seen in real life, right? Because he's exposed to everything. And so uh, born early and with low birth weight. And so he's like barely five, uh, five pounds, about 18 inches long, just tiniest little baby. And we just fell in love with him. We fell in love with him. He was a safe surrender. I don't know if you know what that is. I don't. So, um, safe surrender is a law. It's called safe haven too. Basically, um, they can go into the first two weeks of life. They can go into a fire department or, um, a police, you know, a police, whatever. Why can't I think what it's called? Police office. <laughs> anyway, um, police department, police department. I'm like, what's the word? Um, anyway, or a hospital and they can surrender these babies. They don't have to leave any information about them. And it's the reason why these laws were passed were to prevent abandonment, abandonment of infants. Um, because, you know, they were finding babies in bushes and I did not know that was a thing like that. Yeah. It's been a thing for a long time. As long as girls were trying to hide pregnancies, there have been babies that have been abandoned and, and died. So it was, uh, and you know, these laws were passed to basically, if for some reason this girl can't take care of this baby, no shame, <laughs> you know, give this baby someplace safe and walk away. And so they created these laws. So Finn was a safe surrender. So we know nothing about nothing. There's no records of anything about anything because they're allowed to walk in. And so I consider it a great act of love, honestly. Um, I know a little bit. I. I know a little. I asked the doctor that was there. I said, I know you guys can't tell us any details, but anything you can tell me in case someday he asks me. And he said, you know, she kissed him and told him she loved him. And she couldn't keep him. And so I'm like, it's a huge act of love. So, yeah. So we ended up keeping him. So, um, no hesitation about adopting him. Just more kind of like a, oh, my God, we're old. <laughs> like, ish. I don't know. So. I mean, we're mid forties. There's lots of people that have kids in their early forties. It's not. There's just that weird time thing, right? Where people you have kids and then it's 
you get them out of the house and you're done. You can go enjoy your life. You get your life back. Yeah. Yeah. No, this was supposed to be a temporary thing. And, you know, it's funny because I've talked to other people that have adopted um, children as well. Um, The Maples family um, that I think. They've adopted quite a few of them. Quite a bit. And they we were talking about that, just how kind of like there's like a, um, oh, you know, we're just fostering, you know, and then it's like, no, no, this is um, that very often foster families don't necessarily think they're going to be adoptive families at the beginning, but you, you fall in love with these kids, you connect with them. I mean, they're not, this is not the only child we would have kept. So yeah, I mean, just, you know, end up being your family. Now, what is your take on the foster care system as a whole? Cause I've always parroted that it's broken and that just seems like the thing that people say and I've fallen into that, but I don't, I've obviously yeah. never been a part of it. So it's, it's, a third perspective of is this is it a broken system you hear about these kids that are struggling through it it doesn't sound like it's good it's not it's a mess no yeah it's horrible it was hard to even deal with as adults as adults we were like ah i mean there were just things you run into as adults working in the system so i can't and so i would just we kind of kept going because we were like as bad as it is to work with this system imagine being in it like you're in it as a kid So, um, no, it's a mess and it's not a mess because like every social worker we worked with was like cared, you know, care a lot, high levels of burnout, right. For them too. That's a burnout job. It's hard. It's high pressure. They have high caseload here. Um, high caseload here. They see a lot of really sad things. It's, it's rough. Is it just a lack of funding? Is it, does it tie back into the bureaucracy? There isn't an you know what, there isn't enough funding in the world to patch together how collapsed some families have become. And we just have more and more of them. So because of, oh, why do I think that's happening? Oh, yeah, it's a big question. I mean, hmm. I mean, I have like a lot of thoughts, right? So I'm not, I'm not going to share. But I just, I think um, part of that is just, generational trauma too so my and i've seen this even in my own family like i have a you know my mom's family i have a large extended family here and there's some of the children have gone into foster care and some of my extended family and cousins and stuff like that and i remember thinking this is nutty i could end up fostering somebody that i'm distantly related to and not realize it uh you can you end up with these generational trauma things things get introduced like for my family some of that stuff it just kind of it keeps trickling through generations. Substance abuse can trickle through generations. Um, alcoholism can trickle through generations, and um, mental health issues that are unaddressed, pressures of life. There's different things. Like with my own family, I feel like uh, I have a lot of people in my family that serve in the military, um, and then also um, family members and family members that went to wars, and then um, family members that also work uh, that worked as sheriffs that are retired now and. Um, I think people can experience a lot of trauma and that kind of comes back and it can break families. It break- Especially in those careers. Yeah. Those are the, the big two is the it military and police. It, it causes trauma. And that's something to remember too, going back to homeless, a lot of those people on the street are veterans. There are things that people experience and see that makes things very difficult for them. I've seen people say, why are we giving this stuff to the homeless? Why don't we give stuff to the vets first? And I'm like, one in the same. A lot of it is one in the same. You're looking at broken people. 
Um, so I think that's kind of it. And then there's that whole, you know, it is a thing. Intergenerational trauma is a thing. It's legit. I think people are like, want to kind of be like, oh, it's people not wanting to take accountability. It's not true. Um, that stuff, it, it passes in different ways, you know, um, epigenetics. I don't know. That's kind of an interesting thing in and of itself. This kind of idea that it's just like trauma is like stored in your cells. So, yeah. Do so you think any of that is tied to family values? That's one I've heard thrown out there a lot. Uh, okay. Well, I, I will say I value the family. <laughs> I think families are like key critical, the key component, right, to a healthy society as a family. Uh, what I don't like is very often when people say family values is that they have a very specific idea in mind of what that family looks like. And it's very um, exclusive and it excludes lots of different kinds of families that they don't like for various reasons, um, whether that's because they're LGBT families or whether they're, uh, yeah, I just, so yeah. I'm not I a fan like, of the family values phrase. Well, I am. I mean, it. no, I'm not because yeah. oftentimes it has kind of politically charged. And I think like, again, I'm going to go back to being a foster parent and I was raised by a single mom. And who was raised by a single mom because she was widowed? Who was raised by a single mom? So, like, I think um, they're a family can look like a lot of different things, but at its core, it needs to be a, a unit that has got each other's back. And I think that's just not happening as much now. I think there's lots of reasons why that's coming apart. And, um, but doing foster care and stuff like that, <laughs> kids do not care. Like these, I mean, like I have this thing that I just post every few years and it was a letter a little girl wrote about what she wanted for a family. And the list is so sad because the standards are so low, right? It's like, doesn't hurt my dog. Like it's things because of what they went through, you know, a, a bed to sleep in, um, food to eat each day. Like the standard becomes so low because of what these kids go through and stuff like that. And I think, you know, um, so really just like it irks me like when um, kind of like family values turns into this like what they mean is a, a mom and a dad, you know, and it's like and we all believe a certain way and go a certain way. And I'm like, it's just um, I think there's lots of different ways for a family to look. But a family has to I, I do think that they're critical. They're critical because even in the foster care system, what they do is they take them out of one that's not functioning and try to put them in another one that is functioning until possibly this can be repaired and there can be, which is why I think we need to invest on people on the front end, right? That's part of it too. I feel like, you know, whatever, investing in things on the front end rather than trying to patch over problems later on. Well, yeah, that all ties back into fixing the problem at the, at the root or at the source. At the root, at the source, right? Instead of just waiting to put a Band-Aid on it. My mom and I were broke. My mom and I were super broke. And I was hungry a lot. That is not a thing that kids have to deal with as much now. Good. Good. You know, it's just, um, yeah, let's fix it. And, you know, let's, let's, why not? Why not preschool? Why not pay for a preschool so someone can go back to work or go back to college and develop school? Why can't we do that? Why can't we, you know, help out with, you know, food stamps and these other things in the meantime? It's food. You know, why not? Like, I just, um, yeah, it, it's better, right? We, there's certain things we can like kind of like go back from certain things, you know, like the X number of kids that end up in, you know, like end up in prison or juvenile hall as adults that they, like, we have this like list of things that happen. We know that they have high ACE scores, 
right? So like, are there things that you can offset that? Well, high ACE scores are very directly related to poverty. You know, there's, there's different things, you know, um, or doing poorly in school. Well, we can address that by like a robust supports at the beginning. Like there's all these things that you can kind of do at the front end that kind of starve off that sort of pipeline where like a kid just passes through the system and then because it's not cheap to imprison them later you know I mean I hate to say it that way but for people who are like oh I don't want to spend this money on my tax money on these programs I'm like well it's not cheap when they are suffering and having issues later on either so yeah the more people we can keep out of prison I think it's just good across the board or that are experiencing a mental health collapse because they didn't have the kind of supports that they needed early on too so there's ways to kind of like interrupt those those trains or whatever, however you want to put it. There's there's places where we can kind of uh, intercede. And I feel like there's a lot of things that this county does really well. Um, they do a lot of different things where they're trying to kind of like they're trying to interrupt those those things. And they they're succeeding in a lot of ways. Like so like with my my son, who's um, he's also on the spectrum. So he's diagnosed uh, with autism when he was 18 months old and among other things as well. And we have like this great early intervention system here because what they found is that they're like, ah, if we get in there before three years old and we kind of work on all these things that don't come naturally to children on the spectrum, but they can learn if we get in there early and really work with them on it, that they see much better outcomes down the line, meaning that they, you know, they can be in regular classes sometimes, sometimes they can live independently. There's like all these different things that can happen. Um, there are states that don't have that. They don't fund it. They don't, it's just not there. They're like, they don't start until like they're six or seven years old and they've lost all that time. So, I mean, like we have inside of California, we have high taxes. A lot of people complain about and that kind of thing. We also do have these like these systems and supports there that are doing things, but they, they're like I was saying earlier, 10 and 15, 20 year investments and things aren't today you don't have like a big flashy thing that you know it's like people want that immediate return they want it right now and it's like but 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 california is going to have a lot of children who have fared far better than children in some of these other states that do not have these supports that are on the spectrum and that's something that's going to be it's starting to be noticeable now it's going to be very noticeable over the next 15 20 years very noticeable an increase that these children are doing better that they're they're healthier, they're happier, that their families have, you know, um, you know, fared better. Um, because there are supports there. So I, you know, again, it's like like a front end thing. So I mean, like the homeless issue, right? I mean, like it is because all kinds of front end supports just failed, whether it was like family, whatever, like coping with, you know, um trauma, like a whole bunch of things just kind of failed, 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 failed for people to end up in that spot. I mean, I'm not saying that's not oops, I talk with my hands. I'm not saying that's not um, not on them, too. I'm not saying, like, oh, this guy was, you know, loved partying in high school and turned into a burnout, gone on drugs, you know, whatever. Like, I know that exists. So I'm not like, you know, oh, there's no... Yeah, it's not black and white, but yeah, there are, no, it's, not it's black a and cascading white. effect sometimes. Yeah, and, they, and one of the things they know, too, is that, like, even with, like, addiction, they're like, some people, and James said this when you interviewed him. I, you know, I was, you know, he talked about how there's, like, some people will, like, they'll do things and they won't have... It, it's not going to affect them like it's going to affect other people. Someone else is going to pick something up the first time and it's like, that's it. Their life is out of their hands at that point. And so, and some of that has to do with like coping strategies and trauma. People that have had trauma are more susceptible sometimes. So, 
And sometimes it's just when it finds you in life. Yeah. You could be in a bad place. That's what I'm and saying. Pick up the needle and you can't ever put it down again. Well, it doesn't usually start with a needle. Uh, when we lived out yeah, in Yeah, painkillers. Yes. We, when we lived out in Utah, one of our, um, you know, somebody that we knew, um, a fantastic guy, a fantastic family. He held it together up until he couldn't, but he had, you know, been, uh, you know, abusing things for about three, four years, new and new. I mean, there were starting to be little like cracks in the veneer, but he was holding it together. And how it started was he was working, he's a lawyer, working extremely long hours, was exhausted and was starting to develop a lot of just body aches and pains. He's exhausted. He's sitting in weird positions. He's not sleeping like he should. People that aren't resting start to have symptoms similar to like fibromyalgia and so you can really have some like really a lot of pain goes in he gets this prescription oh god that made me feel a lot better plus i can sleep i just feel better you know he talked about it like later and um and then i just send him on this path you know it just kept going 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 so and when california kind of did this like hey we're gonna tell these physicians that they can't prescribe these things all of these people who were under physicians care started looking for alternative ways to do this I personally think that was a disaster. They should have kept him under physician's care. They should have tried to kind of, because I think they just assumed, and they were, but there were, there were doctors here, right? There's a doctor here that got censured because she has been trying to help those patients that got dumped by all these other doctors because they wanted to immediately protect their licenses. And she got all these pain management clients and she's tried to help them with all these other methods of doing this and kind of tapering down and all these things. But it's a process. She got censured. For trying to help all these people on that process. They incentivize these doctors dumping all of, you know, so that's driven, that's driven some of our, our drug, drug epidemic as well, our illegal illicit drug epidemic as well as, as people have turned to these other things that are just bad, so much Way worse. worse, so much worse, but cheap and, you know, desperate. And then they find themselves in a spot. I've seen that happen. I've witnessed it happen multiple times. I know somebody else that, you know, got injured in construction, taking pills, taking pills. And then eventually, I mean, it just kept going, going. He ended up in prison because he, you know, held, didn't hold someone up with a gun. He held him up, I think, with a knife or something and was asking for their money. And it just blows my mind that this guy could ever end up in that spot because it's just like here a little, there a little. So I just, anyway, that's, that's kind of a tangent. But I just think there's so much complicated that's going in there. There's so many things such a long train of things going wrong and for people to just um cut them off yeah doesn't seem like that was the right approach i mean you're legally getting people hooked on these pain meds and then you just close the supply off well because they didn't want these doctors just prescribing them out like this like they were like they were you know it was like (laughs) like they were dealing or something it was bonkers um but yeah and and there are doctors who in california have said hey and there's people with chronic serious pain problems because of different kinds of diseases that also need to be able to legally control that pain. Like they need to be able to be under physician's care because of like there's some pretty horrible things that can go wrong with the human body. So anyway. Yeah, if you've got cancer, I'm taking the I'm taking the pain meds. Yeah. And there's other things. I mean, there's certain types of like arthritis that just curls people up on themselves. I mean, just in, you know, literally deforms all their joints. I mean, it's brutal. So there's different things that people end up with. Like they need to be able to legally manage pain without, you know, so I, there's just a lot that goes into this. This is what I'm saying. Or people who have uncontrolled anxiety. I mean, a lot of people, you know, start self-medicating when they have these uncontrolled, they know 
that, shoot, they know people with ADHD, if it's not treated, sometimes will self-medicate in other ways. It's it's strange how like if somebody isn't able to address something, they kind of find what they need somewhere else. They do. A lot of people with ADHD self-medicate with caffeine without even knowing it. Like they're undiagnosed and it's just, oh, I just know I can focus a lot better if I drink caffeine. They're those people that pound down caffeine and then pass out an hour later like, oh, I sleep like a baby. It doesn't affect me at all. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> probably have a different kind of brain, but yeah. If I drank a Red Bull right before bed. Cracked out. I'm not going to go to sleep. Yeah, I'm not going to go to sleep. So anyway. So how do you think you solve? I mean, that's that's not even how I want to phrase that question. <laughs> what can be done to improve, you know, foster care just as a whole? Is it just people need to put a little more attention to it or put a little more effort behind? Because like you said, you well, do have these people that care, but there is that high burnout. Oh, it's... And- yeah, it's it well, right. So how do you prevent burnout? Well, you have a lot more staff <laughs> for one thing, right? So then the workload isn't so intense for each individual social worker. That's one thing. They again, the county the county's doing things though. I think they have some kind of mental health initiatives they are using with their own staff. I think there's some things that they're trying to do even with their own staff to kind of make sure that they're addressing kind of the needs of the staff because that is a really hard job. It's a traumatic, um, that can be a traumatic job, job, excuse me. Um, and then improving it also, oh my God, there's so many people are like, I could never do that, you know, with like foster care. And I think like, yeah, if you don't have the disposition to be with kids, like for sure, just don't do it. But like, uh, do it. (laughs) You know, there needs to be more foster parents. Um, that would relieve the system a lot here. They need to have more places for these kids to go. Because if you have more homes, then instead of having one home with four or five kids, then you can have a home with two. And there can be a lot more individualized attention. So more homes, more social workers, um, more supports for the families so they're not ending up in these situations. I would love to see kind of, we don't really have something like this, but what I wish we had is kind of like a, when you get these calls and they go out and they go, hey, and these cops say, hey, like social services, you need to get involved. And it goes and social services doesn't sometimes or there's things because a variety of reasons. What I would what I wish existed was before this child comes into the system, because once they're in the system, all of a sudden there's counseling for the family. There's this, there's that. There's all these things that all of a sudden come in. And what I wish kind of was more likely to happen was that when that process starts, that that's when all that therapy and parenting classes and all those things start going so that maybe that kid never gets placed in the first place. Um, but again, you're compensating for gaps that were already there. So because why might the parents not have parenting skills? Why might they, why, you know, you're compensating for a problem that's there for some other reason. So anyway, it's complicated. But I feel like what would help them is to have a bigger staff. And what would help them have a bigger staff is if they could pay better. <laughs> so. I think that's just across the board in a lot of things. It is and it isn't. The pay and the support of more employees. It is and it isn't. I kind of feel like because there are things that are paid very well, but they are often not the things that are social workers, school teachers, daycare providers, um, and uh, what is it? IHSS, which is um, home health services. So a lot of these positions that are working with children or disabled or 
or these are paid poorly because they're like, eh. And I think it says kind of where our values are at a little bit. Like we don't really value this. Um, and I think that's lousy. I, I think that's lousy. I think those should be pay matters. <laughs> like it really does. Pay matters. Um, yeah. I yeah, one of our friends, he would work a job during the summer. He was a school teacher and he would work another job part-time. <laughs> it's just Yeah, the school teacher one is weird. You shouldn't have to do that. Like you shouldn't have to do that. You well, should. especially as a teacher. We're entrusting you to teach children. Well, daycare providers, my God, these kids are like not even verbal, a lot of them. They are pre-verbal. Like we knew. Like this is really important. That's really important. You know, or uh people that are um like my son who are mentally, you know, are are going to throughout his life, he's disabled. Like He's may never be able to tell me if somebody's treating him badly. He may not even realize or understand really what's happening. So it's like, I really care about that stuff. Like, so yeah, I mean, like there's supports that should be there. And we do actually have, I think, the money to do that kind of stuff because we pay other jobs well, but we don't pay necessarily those ones well. So eh, I don't know if it's necessarily, it's priorities. It's priorities. I think that's a good way Why to sum it up. Why transportation pay so much more? I'm not knocking guys that are out working on a road crew or, you know, or anybody working out on a road crew. I'm just saying, why was that chosen for making more? Why does this one make more than that one? Well, I don't think anybody's ever argued that the government is good at really allocating resources. Yeah. No. So, but there's certain trends that just kind of cross the board. So, yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah. I would like to, you know, see that improve. That's not anything I can do running for city council. Yeah, you kind of, <laughs> it's more of a small fish in yeah, a big pond. No, I mean, that's not anything that I can like, that, you know, we got involved because we could do, I believe in working in your <clears throat> sphere of influence. I remember all those bumper stickers years ago, you know, think globally, but act locally. But it's really true. You can have the biggest impact in your family, in your neighborhood, in your community. Those are your, those are your big impact zones. And so I feel like if you want to make things better, if you want to make the world a better place, Go for your high impact. Like, where do you have the most influence? Is that kind of your driving factor yeah. for running for the council? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's my neighborhood. It's my town. You know, we moved back here. We, we, we discussed it. We moved into the neighborhood we do. We knew where we were moving. We knew that we would have some challenges for where we were going. But I was like, if everybody just pulls up stakes and goes, how do you make it work? Right? If everyone leaves and they don't come back. It's not going to get any better. No. And I'm like, you know, so I'm like, yeah. And I mean, this is, it's not like, you know, I'm like, and I will save it. Not, you know, no, not at all. But I mean, it's like, um, but you know, I, as I've been out knocking doors and getting to know a bunch of people, like I know a lot of the people on my street, but like, I didn't know a lot of the other people, you know, outside, you know, and so I've been out knocking, talking to people. We have so many nice people. There's so many people just involved in doing so many little things that are making Eureka great, making it a good place, you know? Like one lady we talked to, she makes these quilts and donates them. Like there's just so many like just nice people doing nice things for each other. You know, um, I think a lot of people in Eureka it, were just really like cognizant of all the problems. Like everybody's just really aware of all the problems. And it's like and that's part of it, right? You drive down the street and you're like, oh, God, and it's like boarded up, boarded up, boarded up, you know a whole bunch of people on the side of the street, you know, boarded up, boarded up, boarded, you know? And so it's like, we're seeing problems. And so I think it's like easy. And also too, I think like, it's kind of, I don't know. I don't know if this is like an American thing or whatever, but we just kind of like complain a lot. 
Like we just like we look at like problems and we just focus on them, you know. And I think it's very hard to get oriented towards solutions if you're just focusing on problems. Um, but I think it's also hard to solve problems if you won't look at the problems, if you just pretend they're not there. But we have a lot of good things going for us. There are a lot of very good people here. Um, and I just, but they're going about their day doing their little things, sewing quilts and giving them away and doing all, you know, they're just, they're doing things, volunteering at the library. There's all these little, and so it's not like a big billboard. And so people don't know. People don't see it. They don't see it. So they don't realize that there's like so much good going on. Yeah. It's easier to, to notice a problem and it's easier to just call it out. Actually trying to easy. solve it is the hard work and nobody wants to do that. And tearing things down is even easier still. And I think, and criticizing people is so easy. That's how I feel about the burn. We need to burn down society and rebuild it. When I hear somebody go off on that, I'm like, oh, you, we, it's not going to work out how you think it is. No, no. And I hear that, you know, I mean, like, obviously, like, I've heard that kind of stuff. And like, I get that. Like, I get the like frustration, stuff like this, but I'm like, hey, this is the best you've got. And I, you know, I don't know if they really talk about this as much now. I mean, I've been out of school 30 something years, but I remember growing up, we'd always hear about, you know, Abraham Lincoln was, you know, uh. It's together we stand, divided we fall, like this idea. And I think like there's this like huge level of divisiveness, right? Whew, on a level I've never seen in my 46 years of life. I have never seen our country this divided, our communities are, I mean, it just, I think it feels like it's just sent a crack right down the middle of just everything. And it caused problems with people's families too, where people just really, and people are, you know, and you have people who are like, I want a civil war. And I'm like, that freaks me out almost more so than the people freak, that want to burn down society. It freaks me out and it really pisses me off actually. So like, um, because I'm like, uh, I have family that were served in wars <laughs> and I, I feel like the, a lot of these guys are like LARPers and I'm like, that's a great way to put it. <laughs> I'm like, you have no offense to the LARPers out there, but I'm like, but you have no idea how ugly and how horrible. And I don't either. And you know what? I don't ever want to know. And I'm like, no, it takes so much more work. Stop being lazy. Stop being a little brat. Stop complaining about everything all the time and sitting on the internet just complaining. Like, work with your neighbors. Talk to your neighbors. Get to know people. Try to make things better. Like, we've already, you know, people, are, they think it's going to, first, they're like, this is headed toward a civil war. Well, I, I would kind of argue that we've kind of had like a soft civil war this last few years. We've definitely, like, I mean, people are, don't even see things the same. They don't even see facts the same. So this is, this is nothing like I've ever seen before. Um, no, no, I, you, you know, together we stand for better or for worse. I mean, it's like, if you don't like how somebody is, I mean, like it's the drunk uncle at the Thanksgiving table. I don't know. You just, you deal with it, find a way to deal with it. You don't just throw it all out. Like you fight for your community, you fight for your family, you fight for your country. Like you keep it going. Like, don't just give up. Like. There's so much good stuff still going on. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. It, I don't know. I've tried to articulate it on this podcast before, and I don't think I've done it justice. But the idea that we're just tracking along that divisive line, and it's just getting worse, and nobody wants to come together. Everyone wants to be divided into their own little box so they can be yeah. victimized or or have some excuse for whatever they need an excuse for. Yeah. And they don't want to come together. Because if we come together, well, then we have to do work. We have to exactly ignore because then you have to forward. work. Yeah, you, you, then you have to work, and it's so much easier to just say that that other person is stupid or a villain and just it, dismiss them and dismiss them than it is to 
talk with people, but this is your community family. That's your family. Like, no, like stop, stop quitting. Stop quitting. What a bunch of quitters. Like, And if shit hits the fan. God, I hope it doesn't. It's going to get, people are going to be wishing for the days when they could just type on their phone that oh, yeah. they were being oppressed or that they hated life and oh, I know. everybody sucks. Well, and you know, I think, but also too, you know, I mean, like, I think a lot of people too are like, I don't want to hear about people's oppression. I'm like, I think part of that too is like, there are uncomfortable conversations that are happening right now that I think people kind of need to have though. Like there is some of that that I'm like, cause that stuff, it was there, you know, like it was there. Like I like, <laughs> there's things that were there. Like I was talking to, you know, like both sides of my family ended up in California because like my still living grandmother attended segregated schools, right? Like she was segregated out and um, in Arizona and they desegregated um, just the year before my dad was born. So this is like not ancient history. There are places they could not live couldn't rent. They came out here and they became entrepreneurs because they couldn't get hired. This stuff has real impacts. Like it's a real, you know, it does. And it's, and I can, my husband and I talk about this, like we contrast it with like his experience and what his family just like, they talk about just like that generational wealth, right? And that generational just being established, just having, it builds and builds and builds and builds, you know, but (laughs) we just, weren't building anything for the longest time because we couldn't, you know, in my family. So, um, my grandparents don't see that. My grandpa passed away last year. My grandma's still alive, but they don't see themselves as victims, but, but they definitely have experienced a lot of stuff. My dad did. My dad, you know, I'm like, he's a proud guy, like Patriot served in the military, like, you know, and he's experienced a lot of stuff, a lot of racism, you know, I look just like him. I just came out really light, you know, so I'm what they call, you know, white passing or white, I don't you know, white presenting, whatever. Whatever term they have nowadays. Yeah. Like, you know, that's that, you know, talking about, you know, essentially that my phenotype and genotype don't match, you know, what I am and how I look do not match. But, um, yeah, like that, but that stuff is legitimate, you know, like that's how my family ended up in California. Like my mom's side of the family, like couldn't, they couldn't be hired. My grandma's left, um, Toleco, Oklahoma. My grandma's family name is Rattling Ward. Um, you know, and, uh, she passed herself off as Portuguese, you know, cause it was like, well, that sounds kind of European, right? You know, she didn't want to tell people she was Indian. Um, so, and that's how they ended up here to try to, cause California was kind of like, oh, it's the wild west. We can do something out there. Like our kids can go to regular school. We might be able to live in a decent neighborhood, you know, I feel like that stuff has an effect. And I think some of those conversations people are having are about that kind of stuff stuff that you couldn't talk about before. I don't think we need to live in that all the time. And I definitely don't want to, my parents did not raise me to think of myself as a victim. I don't want to like wallow in the soup of that. But at the same time, like I'm not going to pretend that that didn't have an effect on my family or that that hasn't like, I joke that I like the chip on my shoulder came naturally, but I'm like, yeah, there's like something there. Right. Because like my family always had to kind of like, uh, like kind of fight a little bit, kind of like really know who you are on the inside because other people are maybe telling you what you were on the outside. So I think that's the approach that should be had. Recognition of what happened in the past, acknowledgement of the reality of what happened in the past. Yep. But not the victim mentality. You can acknowledge the problems and acknowledge, hey, we still have a lot of shit we need to fix. Yeah. I think what happens is, is that um, I can't believe we're talking about this. <laughs> I'm never getting elected, but I, 
but I, th- but I think like some of what happens is with this is that, uh, yeah, might as well, if I'm going to be here, let's just let it fly. But I'm like, yeah, I think, um, my daughter and I have talked about this a lot. She and I talk a lot about this kind of stuff. My son's just kind of, you know, like, nah, no, like I'm, he, like, he cares about a lot of stuff, but my daughter and I are both the ones that are like, let's talk about this stuff, you know, like. And she and I, the more people don't let people talk about things, the louder they get. And that's part of what's happening because, you know, it's like right now people are like, you know, um, for example, oh, God, let's open this can of worms. Oh, we're going, we're <laughs> going in. For example, um, sitting at the the MMIP conference, you need to get that. That was not me. That was the computer. <laughs> okay. Now the computer's in a Andy's over here messing around now. <laughs> but um, sitting at the MMIP conference, one of the- Andy, what are we doing here? We're trying to run a show, man. Oh, on the disc? Are we still... Uh, still streaming, but... Okay, keep it up. We might be at a... We're still good. Just computer problems. <laughs> I talked it to death. Um, but... So this can of worms, where are we going this with this? This can of worms. Um, I forgot. Let's just move on. No, no, we already <laughs> opened it. So you and your daughter talk a lot. We talk... Yeah, no. So at the MMIP conference or MMIP summit... And um, what is... Oh, that's the missing... Missing and murdered indigenous people sometimes it's mmiw murdered or missing and murdered indigenous women and so either way it's kind of talking about this disproportionate effect that's happening where these women are just vanishing um trafficking is a large part of that too so anyway one of the things that they talked about um i literally lost my train of thought it's like it's not meant to happen oh damn that's what happens we got our disk space oh no no okay so one of these young girls got up and she said i want to see the education change i want them to talk about us and i was thinking about okay so that's in this room full of native and indigenous people and they're going right and i that's how i feel too right because like my family is just like under the ground right nobody talked about it nobody i didn't learn anything about but my family's been here forever and i like went through school and learned nothing you know and um but she was talking about that. And I thought, you know, I know that this is something that is becoming like a really big issue, right? That's being discussed on the news. This is the can of worms, right? But I, in third grade, so my family is, I said, from Mexico and they're part Yaki Indian, but they're also uh, Yucatan Mayan. And so <laughs> I remember learning in third grade here at Marshall Elementary, which no longer exists, we, we got to put all these things and we're doing these ancient civilization projects and we were working on these things. And I thought I was going to build this like Mesoamerican like temple. And I remember putting all my clay on it and just, you know, whatever. And we were talking about the Mayans and they were like, yeah. And they just one day disappeared and no one knew what happened to them. And there are still people who think that (laughs) because that's what we were taught, right? Like my family's alive. They still exist. This is the problem with lousy, like, cruddy education that just sort of, like, snipped out everyone who was, like, Black, Indian, Mexican, whatever, Chinese, and just, you know. And so I think, like, that's one of these things right now that people are feeling, like, that screaming thing where people are kind of getting louder because it's, like, the longer people aren't listening, the louder people get sometimes. And it, I think that's part of it. And I think that that's starting to make people feel really angry and upset. It's, you know, I just think it's like, you know, I think about it now as an adult, like, you know, at the time, I didn't think much of it as a kid, but as an adult, I look back on that and I think they literally taught us that like, they just disappeared one day and nobody knew what happened to them. And I'm like, they're in my family, 
you know, like it's such a weird thing. We found them. We're, yeah. we're okay. <laughs> I found them. Yeah, it's such a weird thing. Um, I don't feel like that's such a terrible thing that we maybe fix that. Well, history as a whole is written by the conquerors. It's written by the conquerors. Yeah. It always has. Well, been. yeah, because the people that lose. And so it says something interesting, I think, about America that something special, actually, that we're like, hmm, maybe let's have this conversation. Is there a way to fix that? I feel like that's part of what's going on. It may be sloppy sometimes and it may be really messy, but I feel like they're trying to kind of maybe think like, how do we make this a more equitable situation? How do we make sure like everybody who might have a different perspective than me gets to sit at the table too and talk about it? How do we do that? I don't know. I mean, that's kind of the gist of equity, right? Like how does everybody have a seat? Yeah. I mean, one of the things I love about this country, and it kind of bums me out when people just blanket shit on America. Yeah, me too. Is that at least we can have these discussions. Because in other countries, you're not going to be around. You're not going to have the conversation. You're going to start talking. I mean, you can see that with, what is it, Iran right now that's having all those protests? Yeah. Like, I don't know if people just don't travel, which is understandable because it's expensive, but you can go on your phone and you can see these other things and see how other places in the world are. Yeah. It's not like America. No. I mean, there's some rough places out there. And I I know I always have to counter that by saying it's not great here. We do have things we need to work on. Totally. But we can. But we can. But we We can. We even have the option to bring it up and say, hey, this is a problem. We can. We should address this. All the time. All the time. It happens all the time. And, And in California, there are things that make it onto the ballot. There are things that like all the time, like the ability to complain and to change things because you're mad about it is like so very kind of uniquely American in that way. Um, And I mean, there's like there's other people with our forms of government. There's other you know, I mean, they're like we're not the only like democracy or I guess we're kind of like a democratic republic. But, you know, I mean, like, um, yeah, it's but yeah, there's something special. Like, that's why I'm like, don't don't throw this away. Like, this is giving, you know, don't be so quick to, like, it. but again, it's hard. It's hard when you're aware, and especially when, you know, some people are very focused on trying to fix certain things. And, like, and I'm not going to begrudge people that are, like, focused in one area because, like, you need those people that are focused in one area because I don't have, I don't personally have time to focus in one spot. Like, I tend to kind of go across, right? Like, a lot of little things. And, like, if I get elected, that's what I'd be doing is trying to work on, like, lots of things. And But you, those people that get really focused and they're living and breathing some kind of issue every day, they're just, like, way more aware of it. I think they are more likely to complain about this stuff because, like, they're just, they're in it. They're in the soup. I And I think that kind of colors things for them. And so I think always kind of, like, Maybe being charitable about some of the people who are really frustrated about things, um, too, because, like, they're experiencing some things maybe firsthand that I'm not, you know. So, um, yeah, like, they have that. They're making things. Yeah, I don't know. But I do think I worry. I worry about the level of, like, negativity and discouragement that's surrounding, like, younger people. I saw, I can't remember what it said, the amount of people, youth that have reported in California that they're in like a state of kind of mental health crisis, but it like blew my mind. It's like a third or something. 
or a third that was feeling okay. I don't know. It was either way, not great. It was too high. And I think part of that is because like, yeah, we do focus a lot on like what's going wrong or we focus a lot on, and there are a lot of people, I don't know if you know what ACEs is. Yeah. It's like a trauma score. Yeah. Adverse childhood experiences score. Yeah. But there's a secondary component to that and that's resiliency. And I think we need so badly to be focusing on resiliency individually as a community, when you're working with kids in foster care, you're focusing on resiliency is like, how do you help someone learn how to bounce back, bounce back, keep coming back, don't give up. And you really have to have that in anything that you're doing in your life is you have to. And, and what happens is people get so over traumatized, they don't bounce back. That goes back to that, you know, back to groups of people that end up, you know, homeless and these other things. Sometimes the trauma just is too much. and People don't come back, you know, but I think helping other people kind of spring back. We need hope. That's what we need. We need hope. Things we need can to come be together and believe that it can get better. It can get better. It can get better. My goodness. Oops. I grew up in the 80s. They told us to get underneath our desks in case Russia nuked us. <laughs> and look at where we are now. <laughs> I know. <laughs> we're we're and, right back in that spot. <laughs> and here we are again. So, but my point is it didn't happen last time. Probably won't happen this God, time. I hope so. I'm f- I I get worried. You when either I either hope that, that it doesn't happen or that you're really close to the blast. So those are <laughs> Yeah. You don't want to be out in you that outer. I, yeah. Mad Max. <laughs> right. No, but I think like I feel like the different what's changed though is that with the way that news works now and with social media, I think everybody and younger groups are able to be traumatized on a level that we weren't. The news came twice a day when I was a kid and it was like local news. And that was really it. I had no way to see that someone was beaten to death in New York. I had no way. And now we can just the amount of collective trauma that can come just is it's in your phone. It's in your so pocket all day. Much all the time. And on very impressionable minds, your brain doesn't even stop. You know, like you're still your brain is really like neurologically you're still developing until about 25. And so I think um, that's a lot. It's a lot to be bombarded with. And I think people are feeling very hopeless, but it's, there's lots of reasons to hope. There's lots of reasons to hope. Like this isn't new. I mean, I have the benefit of having this large multi-generational family and they went through horrible things too. They went through terrible things that they thought was the end of the world too, but it wasn't. And that they thought would be the end of the country and it wasn't or the end of their family and it wasn't. And so like we can get through it. Like we, we have lots of reasons and Eureka can be better too. It was before it can be again. There's lots of things that we have to build on, but it really starts with hope, right? Because you kind of have to have a vision of where things can go or you don't try. And so I think, yeah, like, Kids need hope. Things are going to be okay. Like, this is a weird time, but people are going to keep going. They're going to get married. They're going to have kids. They're going to make the world a more equitable and kinder place. Like, businesses will come and go. We don't even know where it's going to go. You know? Well, as long as we don't start dropping nukes, I think we could be okay. (laughs) If the nukes start coming out, it's going to be a rough road. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, there's not, you know, uh, yeah, Putin is, you know, I mean, there's, I don't know. Does he have anything to lose? <laughs> we got to hope so. 
I don't know. But I think, you know, is it going to happen? I don't think so. And even if it does, it's not going to be the end of the world. (laughs) (laughs) Depends on how many they drop. Depends on how many they drop and how big. But again, I mean, like, I just. Optimistic. (laughs) Optimistic. Optimistic. Yeah. Because, I mean, really being negative, maybe it will or maybe it won't. The things that you dread, maybe they're going to happen, but maybe they won't. But you're kind of like stealing a moment from yourself and thinking about it right now because there's all kinds of things you can be doing and building. And I think in the meantime, I think everybody need don't focus on that. Don't, you know, don't focus on that. Build, create your life. Like that's a good perspective your to life, have, you know, and tomorrow wake up and do it again. Cause the thing you worried about yesterday may or may not have happened. And here you are again today. So it's like, just keep going. And I think, um, yeah, I want people to work together. Um, uh, I think it's pretty well known that you know some people were like, I think she was a Republican. I wrote this article that went viral. I was going to ask you about yeah. that. I wrote an article that went viral. Um, yeah, like uh, 2017, and um, yeah, because I was a registered Republican, and I think and people are like, oh, then she's MAGA. Uh, no, never. So um, well, I mean, you marched with the women's march. I did, of course. Yeah, absolutely. I volunteered. It's tough to be MAGA I volunteered with, and do that. I volunteered with Planned Parenthood when I was 15. Like, no, I have like I have my views. I voted for Ralph Nader in 2004. I'm an independent person who thinks independently. So we exist. Um, but yeah, no, I was a registered Republican um, in my family. And this is going to sound <laughs> funny to people, but uh, all the couples, one person would re- uh, register Democrat and the other would re- register Republican. And that way you would get materials on both and they could feel like they were active in primaries. But there are things, there are things like um, like self-determination and like, hey, like, let's do this. And not thinking of yourself as a victim or, you know, different things that I'm like, yeah, that like kind of appealed to me about some of that ideology. But I mean, it's just been off the rails for so long. It really has. It's just been off the rails for so long. And by the time I wrote that, I probably really like, I wasn't trying to be disingenuous, but I really, really didn't belong as a Republican in it. And that was really kind of it for me. That was kind of the last straw is I kind of wrote that kind of hoping that I would appeal to a lot of these other people that I and friends and family with to be like, hey, think this through because this could really be a disaster. And it didn't work. And so, you know, I not really. Um, a lot of I think there's a lot more um pro-choice conservatives than people realize and pro-choice pro-choice Republicans, a lot of women. Um so well it's easy to going back to that typecasting thing. Yeah. You hear Republican and you slam them in that box. And you can write them off that way. Oh, you're just a Republican. Yeah. You, you don't care about women. Yeah. You don't care about these things. Yeah, they don't care about women. It's like, wait, but they are women or they're like, and they're, you know, this. And you're like, oh, you know, they're white. No, well, actually, she's, you know, Latina. <laughs> or actually, she's black. I mean, it's like they're, people are complicated. They're not easy to put in boxes. No, never MAGA. Did not vote for Trump. And that was really when I was like, hmm, yep, this is not the party for me anymore. Because I, yeah, no. So um when you wrote that that letter kind of laying out it was a why it would be pro you know what i didn't write that as an article i wrote it as a comment that was sent in a private message to the lady that runs that page women you should know and said um hey i really appreciate what you guys are doing and i just said and i just kind of said this is so frustrating i wrote this kind of you know what i couldn't say to everybody else but then i ended up saying to everybody else did you know she was going to put that out there yeah she asked for permission she said I can we please publish this? And I was like, sure. Thinking like, yeah, like four hundred people read it maybe, and it just went around the world. So, 
Um, yeah, because there were marches happening all over, right, outside the country too. And so it was just ping-ponged everywhere. And so, I mean, I've always been an independent thinker. And um, There's pros and cons to both sides. And the idea that you have to pick one and have to conform to all of their ideologies. I'm a registered independent right now. Um, and, uh, and I don't see myself and it's, and I, and I vote entirely for Democrats at this point and have for six years. So, um, but if I thought somebody was, I can't imagine myself, I'll be perfectly honest. I can't imagine myself voting for a Republican right now. I, I've never down ballot voted. Um, but I have the last while because I, I really felt Trump posed an existential threat. I really was concerned. And I was kind of like trying to kind of raise this call in like 2015 when I saw I was like, no way, this isn't where they're going with this, right? No way. Oh, it is. Okay. And then in 2016 was like, <laughs> I mean, we're not going to vote for this guy, right, guys? Right, right? You know, and then, you know, he's elected. And I was like, okay, yeah. So, you know, and I think at that point I started realizing, and I mean, I have family members that voted for him that thought it was a joke too. They were just like, they just didn't want to vote for Hillary Clinton. But they were like, <laughs> this clown, right? You know? And so it was weird to kind of watch them, like, the more people criticized him, the more people ragged on them, the more they, like, really dug in and they were like, yeah, he's our guy. And I was like, what is happening right now? Like, what is this? Um, yeah, very concerning. Um, typically, pre-Trump, I always just felt like corporate politicians really kind of serve corporate groups. They really, you know, the powerful serve the powerful. Like, I just always kind of, I don't know if that's, like, a jaded way to look at things. But I just felt like they were kind of like out of touch with all of us. And I felt like there wasn't like vast differences between the two parties. Um, and that could be very wrong, but that's how I used to feel. Um, that really changed with them because um, I was like, this is uh, frightening. So I, I really was concerned and wrote about 2016, 2017. I was like, Surely you realize this is the kind of person who never leaves office willing. Like, they're going to have to pull this guy out. Like, he's going to be, like, dragging his nails along the wall. And people are like, no, that's not going to happen. Well, I don't know. I don't know. I know a lot of people that felt that way. I did. Were worried. Yeah, I was, I was like, he's not going to go willingly. No way. There's no, you could, <laughs> votes could have been three to one. He wasn't going to go. I think they really underestimated, too, because a lot of people were like, uh, no way. He couldn't possibly have been elected. Nobody would vote for Joe Biden. Oh, there's a lot of us that voted for Joe Biden. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I was still a registered Republican when, you know, so I just, yeah. Um, anyway, whatever. What are your odds if it's Trump versus Biden 2024? Oh, who do I think is going to win? Yeah. Uh, I still think people are going to make, they may do it quietly because they don't want to make everybody mad because that was a thing, right? A lot of people were just quiet in 2020 and they're like, they couldn't have possibly voted for Biden. I didn't see any flags. And I'm like, well, maybe they just weren't flaggy people. You know, like they, they just weren't the sort to put a big flag in the back of the pickup truck. I think, I think it would be, I, you know, I'm disappointed that we have two very old people. I know running. we need some better candidates. I, you know, and I, I don't regret voting for Joe Biden. I, I don't regret it. I, I, I wanted things to calm down, you know, um, and I wanted the rhetoric against people that, share an ethnicity with me to calm down like enough like it was just too much um and there was just so much that was just so toxic um so no regrets but um god there were so many good people like too i'm like i really liked cory booker booker there was like there's some great candidates and i'm like how are these people not making it how are we the, the same people that are in 
control in Congress right now are the same people who were in control 30 and 40 years ago. These people just never left. Nancy Pelosi. And they're in there. Still like just up there. Up there. On the power. It's, they're just up there. And, and, and it's not because there aren't good people in these younger generations. There are. And I'm like, that's, and, and I don't, and I don't like ageism either because like I worked, I served on the civil grand jury in 2019 and 2020. And I worked with a lot of retired people and they may take a little bit more time to get to their thoughts, but their thoughts are very quality. And so I don't, and I have kind of a different attitude on that too, because I feel like, again, it's kind of a cultural thing, but in my family and the background I come from, you really value your elders, you really see them as a source of wisdom that they have, like they're grounded in a way that maybe like when you're young, you're not because you're super just like got the energy. You don't slow down and really like think about things in the same way. And so I'm like, I, I really hate to kind of see that, like that being the reason for people being like, no, I don't want these people. They're old. Um, well, I think it's, it's ages for some. Absolutely. But then you do look at Biden and you think this guy is, he's not as well put together as, not, as you would want the president as, to be. Yeah. And I, well, sure. Um, but I think if my choices are um complete chaos and someone who's really willing to probably burn things down just to you know watch it burn <laughs> versus maybe uh someone who's just you know saying strange things or is taking a while to get to a thought i'm like i can't believe those are my choices but yeah it's sad that it's sad one, that that's but that one option i just i no, no i would never consider trump and it's no bash or criticism to anybody else um i think that a lot of people think that everyone who's voted for trump has to be maga no um, there are a lot of people that just voted that direction because they just weren't comfortable. You know, they're, they're not, it's as, nuanced. It's I know nuanced. a lot of people it that voted for Trump that are good people. Yes, me too. aren't racist, that me aren't too. terrible people. Uh, yeah, me too. They just didn't like Biden or they liked, you know, different monetary, po like they just, you yeah. can like somebody and not like their actions or like what they're. Yeah. And I think that's what a lot of people were like, um, where I th kind of started to get really creeped out was just how, um, there was kind of a move to like, start really like acting like, uh, Trump was sort of like some sort of like deity or something that was really starting to like unnerve me and alarm me the way that like people kind of, some people kind of went all in on QAnon kind of a mass delusion. <laughs> yeah. I was like, um, you know, I, I've worked in government. I sat on the civil grand jury and we investigated a bunch of things. And I can tell you, it is so hard to have a conspiracy. It is so hard. And the bigger the conspiracy, the less likely that it's true because you have so many people involved and people are already so ineffective sometimes at just doing their job. <laughs> the idea that they're like, you know, I, some of it's just, no, <laughs> no. So there's like the deep state. Who is that? Like, I just don't think it's healthy to have someone up there that's spreading that kind of, it's free speech, say what you want, but I just, it's not healthy because there are costs to things. You can really like, you know, Alex, Alex Jones, right? Like, you know, there's costs to that. Those families were harassed and just targeted for ages. Like there's costs to free speech too. Like it's. I think his cost is a billion dollars. <sighs> I think that's what he just got it's just, slapped it's, with. Yeah, and I which saw, is crazy. Which is crazy. That's so hard to even comprehend. A billion dollars. Yeah, at that point we're into Bezos bucks. Like I don't know how to measure that. Like that's not even. It's incomprehensible. Um. Yeah, he'll never pay that. 
I don't even know. I why. don't know how much money he's bringing in with his. I don't show, know either. But I can't imagine it's a, it's a lot. billion dollars. No, I don't think it's a billion dollars either, but it's a mind-boggling sum of money that he. It's how much he brings in. Was fine. Okay, I was oh, thought you were saying he brings that like, in. A year. I was like, <laughs> Andy, we got to start building yeah, on the show. Say, Keep going at it. Start wow. talking about frogs or something. I don't know. Jesus, like, <laughs> lizard people. That's where we're going. Next podcast, we're gonna get somebody. Right. On. Yeah. Start talking about conspiracy theories. Oh, Strange things in the water. The frogs are changing. Like, go there. Go there. Make life. <laughs> it's just a crazy time. It is just a crazy time. Yep. I'm very worried about it, and I don't want people to give up on each other. I don't want them to give up on their family members. And I want them to give up on their friends and their neighbors. That's the takeaway. I don't want that to happen. It's happening and people need to stop. They have to fight for each other. They do. And that was not like, I, I, that was something I loved about growing up here. Like after I left and I went other places, like I was really proud of this place that I grew up where there were so many different kinds of people and that we all just, you know, I lived in Texas and it was like, and here are the poor people and behind the gate over here, here are the rich people. I was so freaking divided in so many different ways. And I was just like, this is, and not everywhere. I mean, like Texas is awesome. There's some great people down there. My husband's whole family's from there, but not like Eureka where you can have like rich, poor, rich. I mean, just walking down the street, it's just so mixed up. Right. And I was like, I love that about here. And that, um, and it's kind of, it's kind of wild Westy here, right? Like there's kind of like a rebellious streak, like a rebel vibe that kind of runs through like, everybody right like there's a really like big independent streak here which i think is great i think that's why we can be creative about how to solve problems here too but we just have to have the energy and the fortitude to do it and you know and be hopeful i just ask be hope so i yeah i we it's it's a fun opportunity to be running um it's definitely just in a couple of months. I threw my hat in the ring at the, like the last day that you could say you're going to run. And so I think Nicholas, who's my opponent, was like, hang on. Like, wait, what? Like, I've been doing this for like six months. I just anyway. Um, and so I've been having to like run this like intense thing for like two months, just super intense because I only have two months or, you know, like two and a half. So. So you kind of had to hit the ground running. I did the ground running and it was like, I always serve behind the scenes. I don't get out in front of people. Like I'm just always kind of like, I haven't in years, not in 20 some years. I just always am like, you know, it's more comfortable, it's more comfortable leadership out in front. Lots of criticism, it's more comfortable just to like help people out from behind the scenes. And then they're just, you know, grateful for your help. It's not like you're just always ticking off half of everybody right yeah you cannot please everyone you can't please everyone you can't there's no way to do it and there's um yeah and i am i'm not easy to put in a box because i'm i'm confusing people a little bit i don't think that's a bad thing it's, i don't think that's a bad thing as i've talked with people everyone that i i feel like it's a good thing that all the, the people that i've talked with if they've had a talk with me they're like all right yeah how do we do this? Like, how do we support you? So I feel like, like, I think, um, so my views and I do, I lean progressive, like for sure. Like I definitely have a more pro progressive view of things. Absolutely. Um, and progressives kind of outnumber conservatives here, like four to one, but I'm like, but I've got conservatives that are supporting me as well. And they know I am not, and they know that I am very left-leaning and they're still supporting me. So, um, so it'll be interesting to see how this shakes down. I think part of that is because I'm like, I will talk with anybody 
That's a good quality to have. Yeah. I don't want to, I don't, I don't like the, I don't want any more division. So I'm like, it starts with us. Fight for it. So. Well, there you go. Renee, we can end it on that. It's already 510. Yeah. Do you want to plug where people can find you, where they can find your campaign? Yeah. So you can find me on Facebook. Um, I made myself go onto Facebook. So we're, I'm there now. <laughs> um, I'm on Facebook. I don't have a website. Um, and then you can reach me through Gmail. So on Facebook, it's like at RCD for our city. So there you go. <laughs> um, or, or you can just look up Renee Contreras Deloach um, and find me that way. So I think it's Renee Contreras Deloach for. Eureka Fifth Ward, I think is how it says it on Facebook, but literally it's like the little handle. Oh, and I'm on Twitter, which is also at RCD for our city. And same thing with Gmail, same thing, RCD for our city. So, okay. Yeah, that's where I'm at. Well, Renee, that was awesome. Thank you. Thanks yeah, for coming on. Thanks. I had a great time talking with you. Yeah, it was fun. Good. I kind of forgot that I was running. And so, yeah, there you go. Uh-oh. We won't hold you against that. Yeah, you'll be fine. <laughs> All right, thanks. <laughs> <laughs>